It's Kane. It's blasted over the bar. And it's penalty heartbreak for the England captain. Hello and welcome to Serie A Spotlight. This is Season 2, Episode 16. I'm your host, Matt, and today I'm joined by two of my longest-serving friends in life. Please, guys, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi, everyone. Theo, uh, 25. I grew up with Matt. I'm a a lifelong United fan. I also tend to support England at the the World Cup. I have sacrificed a lot of weekends to watching a lot of football matches. A lot of my friends and family actually think I have a problem. <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree with them, but I have been invited onto a podcast. So guess who's laughing now? <laughs> uh, I'm Jamie. I'm a 25-year-old lifelong Chelsea fan. Um, to be honest, my afternoon started a little bit difficult because I missed the Morocco goal because uh, mm. I was buying Moscow meal supplies for us all. Thank you, brother. That happened way. because Theo, our other guest, lost his wallet. <laughs> it um, I'll be honest, I recovered well, but um, England then got knocked out, which I'm, I'm an England fan, by the way. England got knocked out, which made things difficult for me again. But with that said, um, I'm really happy with, with England's performance. Um, and I'm even happier to be here. So thank you, Matt. It's, it's generally an honor. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. It's interesting because obviously we just watched England together and as all our listeners know, I'm a diehard Italy fan. Italy obviously didn't make the World Cup and I was just telling you guys that when England play, I can't help but root for them because I like the fact that it's a young squad with a very progressive young manager as well in Gareth Southgate. Um, A lot of squad depth, a lot of versatility and I can't help but root for them. But the second that they play Italy... I hate them more than any opponent Italy has ever faced. What's the sentiment you guys share against Italy as England fans in particular? So I feel like growing up in Malta has a very particular kind of culture about this. So for those watching who might not know, so Malta has a very has a horrendous national team. Let's, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Doing better in recent years. I guess yeah. we're doing much yeah. better nowadays. Yeah, but, um, but a, a very good national team because we've got a, a good progressive manager. But uh, turns exactly. out he does certain stuff that we're all against. <laughs> turns out the, our manager is a bit of a perv. But <laughs> we'll skip past, past that. We'll leave that one for the OnlyFans version of this. Um, <laughs> um, but no, no, jokes aside. Um, uh, the level of football more that isn't great, which results in a lot of people essentially supporting the national team of sort of... Uh, the national team of the country for which, like the country of the league they support. So yeah, to speak. exactly. Uh, for me, it's a bit simpler because I am a half English, so I've always supported England. Um, people from England don't typically hate Italy, but in Malta, uh, you guys will both agree on, with me on this. There is this culture of Italy versus England because everybody here supports either a Serie A team exactly. or a Premier League team. And if you're from the Premier League, you hate the Juve fans and you hate the Milan fans and all that. And if you're from yeah. the Serie A, you hate United fans, Liverpool fans, you hate the Chelsea fans and all those. Um, so that naturally translates into the international sides. Um, everybody here has a bit of ego about it. Um, fans naturally, as you'd expect, get a little yeah. bit annoying. Um, and I feel like people's hatred towards teams, whether it's whether it's league based or international based, is very much down to um, the the fans being dickheads. Can, can, yeah. we, swear? can we swear? Yeah. We can swear. We <laughs> can swear. <laughs> fans are often dickheads, and that and that and that tends to charge um, charge a little bit of hatred towards national teams. Yeah. Theo, do you have a particular opinion on Italy as an England fan in Malta? I mean, rivalries stem from from what the people in your social circle say to you. So if you have friends 
who support uh, who tend to support a particular team um you often enjoy seeing their team fail and they enjoy seeing your team fail yeah so so as jamie's mentioned here uh, the culture is is very england and italy oriented so in those in those tough england moments you have italy fans mocking you and 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 likewise uh, if you have an opportunity to mock an italy fan you do that mm-hmm. um i i i mean i didn't i didn't mind um Italy not being in the World Cup, but at the, at the mm. at the same time, I I do I do like to see as many quality teams as possible yeah, in the sure. World Cup. For sure, nice. I would, Italy. If I had to, if I had to pick a dream scenario, I would have had Italy in, and then they get knocked out in the group stage. Oh, oh great! You know, it's yeah. a bit more painful like Some, that, like a loss against Iran or something. Something. Yeah, like exactly. That. You know, at least Iran. guys, I get to enjoy this as a spectator. I'm rooting for the Serie A players. We saw Theo Hernandez and Giroud just go through, and you guys are devastated that you mm. you had this hope about you, and now you're knocked out in the quarterfinals. Is it a flop for England to be out in the quarterfinals? Uh, so heading into the tournament, when I was when I was um, writing my predictions down, I did identify this one as 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 the crucial England match. Same, same. Uh, this was really the fifty fifty match on paper. Um, it really felt like it would be a coin flip, and I I I think it it really was. They really fine mm. margins. Um, it could have gone either way. What what hurts, I think, is that England actually put in a really strong performance, uh-huh. uh, better Definitely. than I think a lot of people would have expected. They 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 were in control of the game for large periods, uh, but just a few minutes really caused them. And then and then on top of that, of course, the the Kane miss. <laughs> Not much to say about that, yeah. or maybe too much to say about that. We're gonna do it soon. We yeah. will get into that. Uh, a question I have for you, Matt, is is I'm interested to learn. Um, what's your perspective, sort of coming into a World Cup? Obviously, World Cup something every every football fan looks forward to, uh-huh. um, and I think you're not used to coming into World Cup and not having a team to support. Yeah. So yeah. for me, I've always had England support. Um, now there was a year, as I remember, 2008, where England didn't qualify, which just hurt, and I think I, as when I was young, so it didn't matter as much back then. I was like 11. Mm. But what's your perspective coming into a World Cup so big, and especially now you're probably into football more than ever, yeah, without having a team support but still being so into it. So it's it's interesting because I just two years ago I had the best summer of my life when Italy won the Euros and you were there with me throughout the entire thing. I think we watched pretty much every single match together. Yeah, I, and, think, and I think I cried once. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> Probably yeah, yeah. in the final. Yeah. Um, so so obviously my hopes were high. That's you know more than ever after you see your team lift gold, you'd expect them to kind of ace the next tournament and you'd have high hopes for the next tournament. And obviously after that loss against North Macedonia, uh, obviously lost to Portugal. And then I was like, okay, no, no Italy in this and I'm going to need to adapt. And I just decided to root for any team that has the most, number one, Milan players and number two, players that play in Serie A. I'm Basically Serbia. Basically (laughs) Serbia, but they were out instantly in the the group stages. Look, it's never fun not having a team to root for, but I do get to kind of enjoy it as a bit more of a spectator. I, I get to enjoy like Brazil getting knocked out. I get to enjoy seeing Messi doing his thing and not being bittersweet because of... Italy will have to face Argentina or okay, Italy don't need to face Brazil kind of thing. So I get to enjoy it for, I get to root for the underdogs, I get to root for the Moroccos. So it's something actually 
Obviously, I'd rather have Italy, but it, it brings about yeah. some joy as well. And like a silver lining is you get much less anxiety and no room for heartbreak. Exactly. Which me and Taylor are kind of going through right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm, I'm kind of going through it right now. I'm not like, yeah. Today, yeah. today, you did get to feel Moroccan, right? I did. I did. I was very Moroccan today. Me and Jamie went to Morocco together and we conversed with so many different Moroccan people. I have to say, I did not speak to many Moroccan people that liked football. They were more passionate about the desert and they were more passionate about their natural resources rather than football. But, you know, see, For sure. as, as Moroccans, being the first team to reach, being the first Arabic team and the first African team to reach the semifinals sure. of a World Cup is massive. But something, something I love about that is maybe back then their team wasn't as good. I feel like um, they've improved massively, first of all. Mm-hmm. And something I love about these teams, these smaller ones, um, when it comes to national teams in particular, is you've seen it a lot in this World Cup. Um, there is so much like passion and unity that comes with these teams whenever they go on a nice yeah. streak or when they win and, and all that good stuff. 100%. Um, and it's so beautiful to see. And with Morocco, you really see that. We saw it with Iran when they had a good win here and there, Saudi Arabia as well. Mm. There's a, a really special type of passion, which even yeah. though you might not think these countries are maybe typical football countries, um, as soon as they get even one win and even more so a streak like Morocco had and maybe Croatia now making it to the semis again yeah. after another great tournament a couple of years back um, they, they just the, the country really gets behind them and I just genuinely love to see it man I really yeah. love to see it agreed agreed and I think this sets a bit of a precedent of what we're going to be doing in this episode, guys. We're going to be going through the quarterfinals. We were blessed enough to have a long weekend off because we live in Malta and we're very strategic with how we book our days off. And we watched every single quarterfinal together, really? almost. Theo had some other plans, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Don't I'm, worry about it. I missed the half by school mute. Exactly, exactly. But we got to see them all together, which puts us on a level playing field. We know what happens. For those of you that don't know, obviously, England have just gotten knocked out literally right now by France with the score of 2-1. You didn't have to say that. Ah, you didn't I have to say that. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Portugal went home after losing to Morocco, 1-0. Netherlands went home after they scored in the 120th minute to equalize against Argentina, but Emiliano Martinez came in clutch in the penalty shootout, and Brazil also went home because Livakovic came in clutch for Croatia after a 1-1 draw in a penalty shootout. A crazy fucking World Cup for underdogs. We saw it in the group stages. We're saying, ah, things will slow down now. The big teams will be the big teams. The small teams will be the small teams. The big teams will keep doing what they do and the small teams will slowly fade away. But we're seeing it stem into one of the most incredible spectacles as a World Cup that we've seen in recent years. I think we've been conscious as 25-year-olds since the 2006 World Cup, I would say, when Italy won against France on penalties in, in the final. So this World Cup is looking to be the best in recent history mm. with great stories from underdogs, mm. so on and so forth. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy with this World Cup. It being held in Qatar, a country that, that maybe has different morals to maybe the westernized countries in Europe, especially. Um, do you think that maybe that has been forgotten because it's been such a spectacle? And do you think that the outcome is going to be a little bit bittersweet because of that? So it's interesting from my perspective. So I've had my had my eye on this World Cup for a long time. So I remember some literally six, seven years ago when so it had already been known for a few years that the World Cup's gonna happen in Qatar, right? 
Um, and there was already a lot of controversy around it. And I remember back then, so let's say 2016, 17, whatever, seeing graphs of um, worker deaths, yeah. which I'm sure we've all seen. And I, I remember seeing this comparison of all the major sporting tournaments in general. So um, World Cups, Winter Olympics, Normal Olympics, Euros and everything. And how many worker deaths, worker deaths took place in each one? It's always zero, 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 one, two. The most average of the spike would be would be like 50 yeah, and then back to zero one zero one, um, and then back then Qatar was already at like two thousand, was already something ridiculous. Mm. Um, so from then looking forward, I was already like Jesus Christ, like what's going on here? FIFA looks so dirty, and they are doing wrong, they're very yeah. dirty in that sense. Um, and so I already felt deflated about it back then. And then as the World Cup got closer and closer, and then you hear it's going to be in winter and it's going to disrupt all the leagues. Um, and as it gets even closer, the, the worker deaths are you're seeing the, the reality of it and it's skyrocketing and there's yeah. more they're saying this and they don't know the exact number, but it's like 10,000. Um, coming into it, the alcohol, massive for the England fans, especially. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, um, especially I, tonight. Even tonight, even more. So I, think, <laughs> I think they needed a drink. They needed a drink. I, like, I can say this because I'm English. Um, uh, I, I was I was very kind of deflated about it. I was very as far compared to every other World Cup and every other Euros we've had in the last as long as I kind of remember. So sure, two thousand six, I was a kid, so I was really excited. But even as an adult, this was the one I was least excited for for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because even though football, the game itself is very distinct and very separate from it. When you're seeing all this all the time, it does take a lot out of it for you. Yeah. So I came into this with a bit of a sort of apathetic kind of feeling. and I wasn't mm. so up for it. But as I got into it, as naturally, the, the World Cup is there, so you're going to watch. Yeah. Um, and as I started watching, and I like the first kind of two, three, four days start, and there were so many good games, bro. Yeah. There were so many good games off the get-go, and you have Iran playing great, you have Saudi Arabia with their shock win in the beginning. Yeah. And you just think, all right, a shock, the, the shock is going to come here and there, like, sure, they're, they're going to happen. But then there were so many more, bro. There were they so remained many consistent, more, man. There were so many more, bro, and it just kept on happening. And then not only that, but you had a few other great games. England-France tonight was a great game. Yeah. Yesterday, Morocco knocking out knocking out Portugal. It was mad. Yeah. Port- no, no, them knocking out Spain the, the week before was crazy as well so you can't help but then get locked into it while still obviously recognizing all the wrongdoings that have happened if you just look at the football it's actually been beautiful it's been seriously impressive yeah um and i've been loving i've been loving every game so far and i've only gotten more and more engaged as i've gone on and and to answer your essentially your question i would say this is one of the best major tournaments in recent memory as in sure 2006 was incredible um and that's the first one i remember and there were a few other great ones 2010 africa comes to mind yeah um, uh, but but this is right up there this is a right up there's one of the best for me nice for you Tay. yeah so as, as jamie's mentioned here obviously coming into it uh, the negative publicity didn't really really excite me um i do think that regardless of what happens through this world cup there will always be somewhat of a cloud hanging over this World Cup because mm-hmm. of the, the conditions surrounding it. Um, that being said, a World Cup is a World Cup. The spirit of a World Cup is never going to be removed. You are, you're going to have the the storylines, the upsets. You know, you have you have the players. You have Messi out there. You know, you have Ronaldo yeah. out there. These are these are you. You're only going to watch. Uh, these players a handful of times participating in a tournament like this. Yeah. Um. So so when it comes around, you're gonna watch. If you love the sport, you're you're going to watch. Um. In terms of of how I felt through this World Cup, I really enjoyed the group stages. I think mm-hmm. the group stages were 
phenomenal. I think we saw some incredible upsets, um, and that and that really, really just contributed to to a lot of drama. Yeah. In the knockouts, it's been it's been interesting as well. This all being said, now we we head into the semis. A big, a big. Uh, the the perception of a World Cup is heavily uh, based around the final chapters of the story. Yeah. So when I think back to the first World Cup I watched in 2006, obviously the first thing that comes to mind is that final and Zidane <laughs> shoving his head into Materazzi's yeah. chest. Iconic. That's an iconic, iconic, iconic moment. Iconic. Iconic. Very iconic moment. So, so there's, a, there's a lot left to happen and, and that will really, really determine how, how we look back on this World Cup. I think. Yeah. World Cup, Qatar 2022, the semi-finals are officially Croatia versus Argentina on Tuesday 13th at 8pm. Um, France against Morocco Wednesday 14th at 8pm thinking of teams like Croatia and Morocco in the semi-finals of a World Cup is something I never thought we'd see before although we've seen Morocco four years sorry we've seen Croatia four years ago um, we didn't think we thought that would be a fluke but clearly this team has a lot of quality about it but I think what we should do here boys is we've had a little bit of a predictor session ourselves so we had our initial predictions for how all four games in the quarterfinals would turn out to be. And we're basically going to go through them, um, discuss how well we did, how terribly we did, and how the games went down. So for France against England, the official score was 2-1 to one in favour of France. I had predicted 3-1 to France. Theo, you hit the nail on the head with 2-1 to France. Why? So this is this is one of those really as as I mentioned it really felt like fifty fifty game on paper like mm. narrow margins, um one bit of quality one moment of brilliance and that that would decide the game for me I'd say I'd say the decider and why I went for two one was Kylian Mbappe okay um I think a player like that is always obviously he's the best player on the pitch he's probably the best player in the tournament yeah. A player like on the pitch is, is is the most likely to make the difference, obviously. So mm. I gave France the edge. But as I said, it's really, it's really could it's have flip gone. of a coin. It really felt like now. a flip of a coin. Yeah. Um and 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 that's that's how it went down. That's how it went down. James, you said one one. You thought the affair mm. would be just as tight as it was, but there wouldn't be that deciding moment, which in this case was the Giroud header. Are you disappointed with the outcome? Obviously, you're gonna say yes. You say, <laughs> you say yeah, disappointed. Yes. Um, you say the decider was Drew Tether. I feel like the decider, the decider was the that fucking Kane penalty miss, which just hurt my soul. I still love mm. the man, but it hurt my soul. Um, uh, so the way I saw this was, so I think France are marginally the better side. So I think when it comes to quality throughout the team, it's very similar. But like Theo said, Mbappe. Um, has that certain sort of star factor, which mm. is which which takes him, sorry, which, which helps give France that edge. He has been absolutely incredible, as have several mm. France players. Before Giroud as well has been amazing. For example, Rabiot has been great. They've had a great they've had a great run throughout. Um, what made me say one one was I felt like both teams would set up cons- pretty conservatively, um, and England in particular. The way we set up um, is quite 
sort of cautious, very, very solid, very strong, tight, hard to break down. Very good point. Um, which which means our games tend to be low scoring unless we're winning. Where where maybe after after going one all up, we can we sometimes tend to run riot because the game just opens up in that sense. Um, but against a big team, I feel like it, it was always going to be relatively tight. Um, we still proved right today, in spite of uh, we lo- we lost two one, but still it yeah. still proved right that that um, it was it was really tight and it could have gone either mm. way in the end. Um, so yeah, I figured it would be one one, ended up two one, um, and fair enough. France were great as well. France were France were mm-hmm. fantastic today, and um, yeah, no no, part two of them they were, they were excellent. Who would have won on penalties had it been one one? We know England have a terrible history when it comes to penalties, but you look at their squad now, and you look at the keepers, you look at. Pickford versus Yoris, you think Pickford's on, on better form than Yoris, and, and we saw that in the game as well. Yoris doesn't look stable at all between the sticks, whereas Pickford, on the other hand, looks very stable for England. Do you think England would have won on penalties? I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I would have fancied England's chances. I would have fancied England's chances on penalties. I feel like England, for a long time, everyone knows this, it's, it's, a, it's a meme at this point. England have had a horrendous history when it comes to penalties, but I feel like in the last few years we picked it up, especially in the last major, last couple of major tournaments, we've, we've done a lot better in that regard. And if you look at our 11 nowadays, the likes of Kane, Rashford, Hendo, um, even someone like Shaw. Um, there's a lot of strong penalty takers. Maguire as well can smack a penalty. Yeah, no, no. Man. I think a little bit comes out of mental fortitude more than anything else. Because all of them know how to know, know how to hit a, hit a, yeah. score a goal from 12 yards out. So it's not rocket science. This all um, being said, after Kane skied it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's forget about that one. Kane without the, had Kane scored, that needs to take a third penalty. And that <laughs> against his teammate, by the way, and you go your ease. Yeah, yeah. That was weird. Nah, I would have fancied our chances, though. I would have fancied our chances. Yeah. Like Pickford's a fantastic shot stopper, but hey, it's penalty. England yeah. and France are two amazing teams you never know how it's going yeah. to go my prediction was 3-1 for France now it wasn't far off obviously France did get the victory and they were one goal away I pretty much thought the game would go as it did I thought that whilst England were pressing to kind of get that equaliser I thought Mbappe would catch them on the break and kind of get that third and, and seal it off over there to be honest when the game was starting um, I feel like I entered this competition really underrating England and I know they, they just exited in the quarterfinals but I really do feel like I underestimated England's squad depth, their versatility. When you look at, for example, their wingers, you see that on one side you have Sterling and Grealish, and on the other side you have Saka and Foden, for example. And each of these two pairs brings something so different. So if you need a game where you need someone to link up play on the left-hand side, you can play Grealish. If you need someone a bit more direct, you can play Rashford. You're going to play Sterling. (laughs) On the other hand, on the right-hand side, same argument with Foden, same argument with Saka. So much squad depth, and I really do feel like the manager in Southgate has got it nailed down when it comes to squad selection. Obviously, Foden is benched and there's outrage everywhere, but I really do think that he has played a massive part, Southgate, in transforming this team into a title-contending team. Does he leave with his head held high? Or is it shameful that he hasn't won a major trophy with England with the quality all round? We can start with Theo. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion on Southgate. I know he gets a lot of hate. Um, I understand from some angles he, he's he been criticised for not, not uh, playing the kind of football which maybe maximises the, the potential of the players out there. I mean, this is a squad brimming with with attacking talent you mm-hmm. have you have world class players and they're really creative players 
Um, I think I think it's interesting to. I mean, it's important to remember when Southgate came in. Uh, the the mentality England had at the time, uh, crashing out of tournaments early. Um, there was just a lack of togetherness. Yeah, I think I think he did solve that that issue. I think he really did uh, gel the squad. I think he got a positive spirit. There will definitely be a, a, a question mark always hanging about his head, around his head, uh, above his head. Yeah, above his head. <laughs> All around his head. There's a question mark somewhere around his body. Yeah. Southgate and head is the, the point of this conversation. And question marks. Southgate is, has a head. <laughs> Bravo. At least. But uh, yeah, there will always be a question mark hanging above his head. Uh, that that Euros final, I think, will mm. will really haunt him. I mean... A few, a few good penalties, and and I think the the narrative around him would be very different. Mm. At the end of the day, he is going to have to shoulder some some blame because um, all things considered, he hasn't he hasn't brought back that trophy, and there will always be the argument that another manager could have brought back that trophy. Mm. Since 1966, huh? yeah, someone yeah. would have had to do it in the meantime. Yeah, I think I think. Um, I mean, now you, you mentioned you mentioned him uh, leaving. I, I I imagine that will be the scenario now. I think I think there was quite a lot of negativity on him uh, coming into the tournament. Uh, I think it would make sense for them for them mm. to try an alternative now and avoid avoid more negativity um, heading into the next tournament. But I I think he I think he does he does deserve uh, some credit for what he's done over these tournaments. I mean I mean he he he. Turned England to, as you said, mm-hmm. into a team at least that is competing. Yeah, and he, he laid down the carpet. For he them. laid down the the foundations, and I I think I think he's given he's given a platform for the next manager to build on, and I Bravo. think that's that's important. <clears throat> true. Itself. Yeah, agreed. Um, when when I look at England right now, I'm super impressed with the squad. Honestly, I'm super impressed with the squad. So I I so I've been watching England religiously ever since I was a young boy. Um, and I remember, for example, I think it was the 2010 World Cup when there was that, that crazy game, for example, England-Germany, when the, that Lampard, oh, yeah, that Lampard crossbar, to yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so I remember, I remember that, um, uh, that squad and we had the likes of like, you know, Matthew Upton starting in defence and don't know, he scored <laughs> against Germany, so power to him. But, but that just shows the, how thin the squad was in comparison. And it, it was fine, don't know, we had Lampard, we had Gerrard, we, we had some strong players. Um, but he compared it to today, and so everybody knows the eleven without the day. And if you look at our bench, we had the likes of of Sterling, we had Rashford, we had Grealish, um, Trippier, Trent, Gallagher. We had so it's many crazy, strong man. players. These are all on the bench. Our bench alone could have been an, an, an eleven in itself, which could have challenged today and could have made it to the quarter semis in itself. Um, so the quality is absolutely there. I feel like England has come so far when it comes to bringing through strong youth. I think the English sort of academies across across the Premier League have come really far in the last sort of decade, decade and a half. And that's really showing. We're, we're reaping the results today of mm-hmm. work done across the last 10, 15 years. When it comes to um, Southgate himself, it's interesting, man. He's, he's, 
he's not bad, but he's not great. That's how I feel about it. So he doesn't have massive amounts of experience as a manager. So before this, he was, I think, manager of like England's under under twenty one, something like that. So yeah. he never, he never, yeah, he yeah. might have managed at club In level. In fact, but... when when Malta hosted the under seventeen Euros, which was when we saw Foden play and a gentleman that he named before, I forgot, I forgot. Patrick Roberts was Patrick Roberts. Um, he was actually the manager of the team, and and I yeah. went to to get his autograph, and he completely ignored me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think had no time for you. It was I too think cool it for was you. written written in the stars from that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that's what sealed it for him. I think so. The tournament and models what sealed it for him. Yeah, yeah. I think had he known him blanking Matt is, uh, uh, had he known the platform I'd have now. I mean, you know, no way would be asking me for be asking for me things. Asking for also. Kane buries that penalty if if he if he shook Matt's hand. Yeah, that's what I wanted. But no, jokes aside, the way I see it is he's fine. He's fine. Um, but I think the way he is as a manager kind of mirrors how he was as a player. So many people might not remember, but Guy Southgate was was a solid player. But it was a sort of just a sort of defensive midfielder. He wasn't the sort of creative kind. He didn't have flair. He didn't have any of that. And I feel like that has kind of translated into his managerial style, where England, with in spite of having all this talent. And in spite of having so much attacking flair with the likes of Kane, Sterling, Rashford, Grealish, and the list goes on, there's several more, honestly. Um, in spite of having all that flair, it feels like as soon as England have the ball past the halfway line, they're not too sure what to do with it. There's a few short passes and they play, they play a diagonal ball and they bring it back. Mm. And they're kind of relying on individual brilliance every time. So tonight we saw a little bit of it with Saka here and there. He was absolutely yeah. amazing tonight. Kane as well was brilliant tonight. Mm. Um, but it was there's way too much weight put on these players in terms of, all right, you've got the ball, figure something out. Uh-huh. And it doesn't feel like when we're playing, it doesn't feel like there's that sort of collective intent, which which teams like France do have. And teams like Brazil, even though they're out, teams like Brazil have. And teams like Portugal have had. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's where Southgate has struggled. So do I put all the blame on Southgate? No. But when I look at the team and I look at the manager and I look at how we're doing, I'm glad we got to the final last time round. And I feel like today we got knocked out against what will be the winners of the World Cup. Um, so I can't be too, I can't be too pissed at that. Um, but I still expect more from our manager. I still expect us to be doing more with the squad that mm-hmm. we have and to at least have just more strategy, more strategy mm-hmm. in how we attack, more strategy in how we how we're trying to score goals and win games and, and just sort of grab them by the scruff of the neck. Mm-hmm. So Jamie, you you need to pick a New England manager tonight. You yourself. You you're in charge. Mind. I wanna mind. Pochettino supposedly is interested. No, I'll take Poch. Thomas Tuchel also has been linked. You look at tactics. Big Sam Adladice. Ah, fuck Big Look. Sam. <laughs> to go back to basics. Four, four, two. Who's it up to Kane? Go for the flip on. Fucking two. Brexit football. Um, uh, no, look, listen. I take Tuchel. I take Poch. But if I'm real, if I, a, a realis- realistic choice, I'd be happy with in the not too distant future with someone like Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe. Okay. Eddie Howe. Because England are always gonna, or at least not always, we've had to put on the boss, But we're always gonna lean towards English managers just because that's that's always how our teams go. And I feel like sometime in the not too distant future, I would love to see Eddie Howe. There's a realistic choice. Ah, Eddie Howe's happy. More, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. He's got but, a big bank account. But if we're there. looking at, if we're looking at, if we're looking at uh, who we're going to realistic sign, we're not going to sign Poch. You don't think we're so? not going to sign Tuchel? I promise you. I, I'll bet money on it. I'll, I'll, I'll bet everything on it. Um, I'll take Eddie Howe. 
can can Adam Alan Party make a comeback? <laughs> Maybe Alan Party can make Alan a comeback. Party, the great Alan Party can make a comeback. Um, as in there's those two as decent England managers. Aside from them, there aren't many out there. Yeah. Um, that's actually a good question. I couldn't I couldn't really answer that myself. I think going back to the play style of England, Jake had said it well before he fucked off to South Africa thinking it's 2010. And <laughs> he did mention that. England have probably some of the best individuals in the entire tournament. However, they do a whole lot of dancing around the box. Now, Kane is one of the best strikers in the world. One of the best strikers in the tournament. And we saw today he was an absolute game changer, both in the good way and the bad way. We saw at a point his back towards goal, the way he has that turn of pace, turns and he suddenly almost clean through on goal. Turns a half opportunity into a 100% opportunity out of nothing he's a genius he's solid but he is he isn't the kind of striker that stays in the box and finishes the way Giroud is so the whole lot of dancing around the box I think Kane stylistically doesn't help that now does that mean Kane is the problem absolutely not maybe having the wingers being slightly more inverted maybe utilizing Rashford a little bit more because he's more keen on getting inside the box and and getting a goal himself. Same argument can be made with Sterling. I think having creative players around the box like Foden playing and um, who who started on the other wing. Saka. Saka Saka as well, not not too direct. He spends a lot of time down the flank as well. So it almost feels like they don't have a man to get that final touch. You'd think Kane would be that man, but... He's a master of the link-up play and kind of getting other people in that position. It'd almost be good with a striking partner alongside him. Do you think that that's a, an area maybe that will be worked on with future managers? So for, so for me, uh, I, I don't think it comes so much down to personnel. Mm. I, think, I think it was more of a systematic issue. As, as, as Jamie mentioned before, when England do get into the final third, the, the the link up play isn't always there as it should be. There's a whole lot of of nothing. Jake Jake okay. could as well before his escape. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think you saw you saw a bit of a difference tonight with with France. Uh, although I, I, they didn't they didn't do well in in large parts of the game, I did feel that when they did go forward, they 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 linked up well around the box. A lot of runs in behind, you know, short passing, good link up play. Uh, and I, I just I just think England under Southgate have have lacked that at times previous tournaments as well. You you look back at the the Croatia semi, which was a a, a big big mm. match. Uh, they they should have broken that Croatian team down. It's good Croatian team, no doubt about it. I mean, still there today doing doing a very similar thing. Uh-huh. But with the players there, they should be they should be uh, cutting that team open. I just, I just think it comes down to systems. I think, I think, I think they need to, I think they need to identify um, ways to get in behind to be a bit more direct, mm. and and that's something that the next manager is going to have to look at. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think it's much less down to the players and more literally to the manager. It's what I mentioned before, creating a bit more attacking intent, figuring out how to move the ball with purpose rather than just sort of fucking around the box. Which is what we've tended to do, which is what what Jake got right. Even though I will, I'll have to say Jake is an England hater. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, he is. 100%. I can't lie. Uh, but no, no, he's justified with that point. Um, I'm not totally convinced of what I'm about to say, but I start to wonder how different things could be if we had a, someone a bit more direct on the wings. So 
with yeah. players like Foden and Saka, I absolutely love them. But I feel like they're two kind of, not similar, so to speak, but someone like Rashford is more direct. Someone like Rashford, yeah. given that he's a natural striker rather than a winger and he's sort of moved to the wing over the years and he's a fantastic finisher as well, our best finisher after Kane. If you have him on the pitch, he's just going to be going for a goal a lot more. He's going to have that sort of striker's ego, which which mm. which other players might have, which Foden and Saka definitely don't have. Um, and having someone like him paired with Kane um, helps because I think Kane, like, like Matt mentioned before, Kane is, although he's a fantastic goal scorer, is also very selfless. Kane does a lot, a lot of work which isn't goal scoring. Kane is fantastic yeah. throwing out the boys, a fantastic passer, and he does a lot of work in and around the box. So I, I do start to wonder what would happen if we had if we had paired with him and paired with Saka, Saka being a very hard worker on the ball. Imagine on the left wing, you have someone like Rashford, who's very direct, always going for the shots on goal, trying mm. to beat his man and, and sort of just literally just trying to score every opportunity again. Um, then I feel like, yeah, then maybe we'll be a bit more direct, have a bit more, have a bit more purpose with goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, who knows? I mean, I mean, Foden is still a fantastic player, so I can't, I can't yeah. read out him there. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about, about Southgate's use of substitutions. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, after a loss like this, there's going to be even more talk about this. What did you make out of, out of his subs today? Yeah, so, so like, all his subs came from the 70th minute and onwards. Um, he had basically, which means after we conceded. So we conceded that second goal and he brought uh, Mountain Sterling on for, for Saka and Hen- Henderson. <sighs> the thing is, right up until that goal, so after the goal, I felt like we deflated a little bit. I felt like we got shocked. Or maybe after the penalty. After the penalty, Mr. Reedy, we, got, we, had, we were a bit, a bit shocked and, and deflated, um, which happens, to be fair. Um, I felt like up until that point, England had a lot of momentum from the second half onwards. So the first half was a relatively even affair. So France came in pretty strong in the beginning. England grew into it and came in strong in the sort of second part of that first half. Um, uh, and then coming out of the second half, England came out really strong. Won the penalty early on, scored it um, and were great for, for a good half hour. When you have that momentum... You kind of don't. You just don't want to fuck with it. You don't. You don't mm. want to change too much. So when you have that front three, just doing so much, doing so much against France, and and the defense was solid, midfield was solid. It feels like why change it? And in fact, the three of us watching the game together and we're discussing should subs made, shouldn't, and we're having mixed opinions about it. At the time, I felt like we shouldn't. We had the momentum. We looked good. I'm like, all right, listen, just don't change it because we're doing well. France got the goal as an outside out of nowhere, but and I don't even say it was against 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 the Lonsley. against the play. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't not necessarily because both teams were strong, but we're doing fine. We're good. We're strong. So it wasn't. It didn't feel like it was needed. Mm. Um, so I can't complain. I can't complain too much. Would I have brought on Mountain Sterling at seventh and seventy ninth? Probably not. I think I would have brought on Rashford um, rather than Sterling, even though I'm a Chelsea fan. <laughs> I think I think I would have brought on Rashford. Um, but honestly, I can't complain too much. I'm not sure what you guys think. Yeah. So we were we were initially discussing. I remember us saying that maybe Hendo out for Mount, and then we kind of fell to the conclusion that that's a bit too much of an attacking move when you want to keep that balance in the midfield. So you keep Hendo on for the balance in midfield, right? Um, a great manager has an ace up his sleeve at all times. I think. Sure, you head into the second half with the same eleven if you feel that that's the way to go. Once you equalize, I think. Even if momentum is in your favor, one subtle change can really affect the outcome of the game. And a great manager 
would have something prepared up his sleeve, created particularly for that scenario. I think in that case, bringing on Rashford for Saka or Rashford for Foden, to be honest, don't mind which one. But bringing on Rashford when that first goal, keeping the balance, but just going slightly more direct, slightly more dangerous up front, that's a change I would have personally made. Agreed. That's all. From my end, I I I I do agree with Jamie. I think when when momentum is in your favor, it it does make sense to to avoid making any changes. That being said, there's there's going to be that question mark. Could he have brought Rashford on? Could he have mm. could he have really gone for the game and grabbed it by the neck when mm-hmm. when 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 they were on top? Uh, maybe, I think. I think what we saw tonight is 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 what we've come to expect under under Southgate. He's uh, he's never been a risk taker. I don't think we felt uh, at one one that he was going to make. Uh, you know, he was ne- he was never going to bring on Madison for no. uh, for Henderson or no. something like that, no. was he? You know, he's 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 always going to be on the more cautious side. It's understandable. It's knockout football. Mm-hmm. But but this is this is where the whole question comes in. Um, what kind of manager do you want? What could yeah. best utilize this team? Should this England team be be grabbing games, you know, by the scruff of the neck and really really going for it, or mm. or do you need to be a bit more, you know, practical and 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 a bit more cautious and and try scrape out the win in in, in difficult circumstances? Yeah, and and. I'm just going to ask one question before we move over and discuss France a little bit and what they did so well to win a game where England performed so well. Should Kane have taken the second penalty? Now, we saw a lot of pundits speak, some controversial pundits as well, voicing their opinion, saying, look, he's up against his teammate, he scored the first one, don't risk it, change the penalty kick taker for the second one. Now, from the penalty spot, there are maybe two or three footballers in the world that can strike a ball better than Harry Kane from the penalty spot. Would you have personally liked for someone else to step up and take the second penalty or do you think they played their cards right and they just fell short? No, I mean, for me, for me, I, I think we, we spend way too much time discussing penalties at the World Cup. And I, I understand I understand where it comes from. Um, obviously, it, it, penalties often end up deciding games. But it's one of those. If, if in that situation, you're telling Harry Kane, the best penalty taker in the team, without a doubt for me. Yeah. If you're telling Harry Kane, give the ball to another player, this, 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 this alternative player steps up. He has a lot of pressure on his shoulders. You know, he knows he's taken the ball away from Harry Kane, who's already scored his penalty, who's been a consistent penalty taker for England and has done a very good job at that. He misses the penalty. We spent hours discussing it after. Why did he take the ball away from yeah. Kane? You know, we could, we could, we could go on with this Literally. all night. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, for me, it was totally understandable. Kane stepped up. Um, it can happen. It can happen. It's gonna haunt Kane. There's no doubt about that. He was on it yeah. tonight. This this was a real chance for him. He's made no secret about his desire to want to win a trophy. The man deserves yeah. a trophy. He's he he he. 
He pushed for that move to City. He didn't get it. He goes back to Spurs now. He hopes that uh, they can churn out an FA Cup yeah, win. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure he was really eyeing that World Cup trophy, and and this mm. is gonna haunt him for a while. But he had to step up. Yeah. Um. You agree? Yeah. No. No. I think it had to be Kane. So people talk a lot about, and it's a fair point. Once he scored one penalty, the second one becomes a lot harder. It plays in your head, and maybe that's what we saw tonight. Uh, but when you have someone like Kane on the team, he's always going to be the one taking the penalty. Sure, we have a couple of good takers on our team. There's, there's, there's Rashford, there's Shaw can take a good penalty. There's a couple others, hundred percent. But it's always going to be, it's always going to be Kane. Um, yeah. to, I, I'm not going to lie. What pisses me off is people like football pundit Richard Keys. <laughs> <laughs> Here we, we go. Me, me, Matt, me, go. Matt, and Teo, me, Matt, and Teo were watching the post game analysis, and Richard Keys goes off on a tangent about how, about how, no, I've been saying the whole time it shouldn't have been Kane. It was way too much pressure. It should have been... And then he's mentioning all these other players. He mentions Foden at a point who never took a penalty in his life, probably. <laughs> like, ah, oh, there's all these great players. Like, no, shut the fuck up, man. Yeah, yeah. Shut the fuck up. Like, it's, it's, it's Harry Kane, man. He's, it's very easy to make that yeah. claim and say, ah, I could have done a better job as England manager. I would have made this decision and like, it would have away. gone our way. I just but, want to yeah. take the opportunity while I'm on air to say I really hate Richard Keyes as a human being. <laughs> I think he's a really bad pundit. He's a pretty bad person as well, but he's a really bad. He's a really, he's a really bad pundit. More important, he's a bad pundit. I think, I think he's even worse of a human being than he is a pundit. I mean, considering that story, which we won't get into, obviously. Yeah, but, this is a but, football co- podcast, so we'll just say he's a bad pundit. Exactly. He's, he's a know, bad. I don't pundit. know if the, the message will ever reach him, but uh, Richard yeah. Keys. Yeah, I mean, Richard Keys. If you're hearing this, it's a simple fuck you from Serie A spotlight. Yeah, it's, we'll, it's, we'll, it's, a, it's a simple. So as it's a we'll you. never sit down for dinner, yeah, Richard. No, no, it's yeah. a fuck you. We don't know what you're going through but like make better decisions basically <laughs> that's what I'm gonna say and Kane was right to take the penalty exactly. right. that, that as well that yeah. as well another name another word for Richard is dick so there you <laughs> go <laughs> dickies sounds like a great product on Shark Tank let's shift a bit to France because this is this has been a predominantly England mm-hmm. podcast so far um, obviously France did what France do They did what they were expected to Even though they came into the tournament With so many disappointing injuries Man, I mean, not having Pogba fit He hasn't played a single game in, in, Since the start of this campaign uh, Kante, who was so important for them In the last World Cup and, and this goes on and on I mean, even Karim Benzema Ended up pulling out When the campaign was about to start There was talks about them bringing him back But Giroud has really come in clutch So at least for now They won't be missing him too much, but now they get knocked out. Obviously, they're going to say, ah, we had Benzema, we had, we had Pogba, we had Kante, we would have won the whole damn thing. Didier Deschamps has spent now 10 years as the manager of France. Obviously, France could become the first team since the 1960s that won two consecutive World Cups in a row. They do look very convincing, and this was probably the toughest fixture any of the final four have faced thus far and he managed to dismantle England, which is no easy task. Do you think France can go all the way, boys? Definitely, definitely. Uh, I think I think with France, there's a belief inside them that they can win every competition they take part in. Mm. I, 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 think, I think the stability on the Deschamps has been uh, very important in that way. A game like today, you do feel like that that experience really comes into it, you know. Yeah. They 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 managed to pull that moment out. It could have gone in their way, either way, but but they did it, and they have proven 
um, themselves that they can do they can do this this kind of thing uh, mm-hmm. over multiple tournaments. I think now now the draw shapes up really nicely for them. Uh, yeah. They go into the match with Morocco. Mm-hmm. I mean that's a match that's a match they should be winning, and then they're in the final again again. The experience factor comes into it, you know. The belief factor comes into it. They're a solid team. Um, def- defensively, you always know that they're they're going to put in a, a performance. They're not going to allow many chances. And then, of course, going forward, there's 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 not much to no say. Debate, really. <laughs> no debate. They have the quality there. I think uh, for me, for me, they go in as the as the favorites now to win mm-hmm. the entire thing. Mm-hmm. For you, James? Yeah, yeah, for sure. France, France are definitely the favorites for me. Um, as in, I think we'll all predict that France-Argentina final. Um, Argentina saw as well, but I feel like France are just absolutely incredible all throughout the squad. Um, I have to heap absolute respect to my man, Olivier Giroud. He's nice. had an absolutely crazy World Cup at, what is he, 35, 36? Yeah, it's something, something ridiculous it's like that. It's generally so impressive. Um, I'm, if anyone had scored tonight, I'm glad it was him. I'm generally glad I was him. I'm so so happy for him, and you could see you could see in his in his celebration. It's like he had tears in his eyes. Yeah. the guy was so yeah. happy, so happy to have scored that, and and you know, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him because uh, he deserves it. The uh, the France team deserve it. Mbappe has stolen the show the whole World Cup. Um, I thought that's an interesting point I have is I felt like tonight Mbappe was was actually not one of the most impressive presses, and he was good. He was strong as always. Um, but I feel like I feel like he didn't do massive amounts tonight. Maybe that's down to the absolute um, incredible performance by Walker. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, perhaps not. Man. Jokes aside, jokes aside. I just think I just think um, probably just they have so much quality throughout. I mean, players like Griezmann, who, who mm. maybe might be might be um, a little bit stifled at, at Atleti, had a fantastic game tonight. Um, and it just goes show with all these mm. injuries. With all these injuries, they still have the best eleven. Yeah, um, and they're, they're yeah. absolute favorites. I think I, I I would disagree in the sense that you said he didn't have a standout performance. Now, obviously, we're, we're used to a standout performance by Kylian Mbappe, being that he scores two goals, does that iconic celebration, and that's where people talk about Mbappe. But like the first goal, the, the reason Chouameni had so much space is because Mbappe dragged three defenders alongside him, and he ended up playing the ball into into the dangerous area. And Chouameni had acres of space and he just had to hit it. And, and God bless him, he's got, he's got quite a kick way. on him. Um, so I think Mbappe just being Mbappe and having the name Mbappe is enough for him to have a crucial performance on the stage because everyone was, was talking to England players about how are you going to stop Mbappe? How are you going to stop Mbappe? And England players deep down, they, they were saying they don't care, but deep down they're like, oh, we're going to fucking put four men on him. We're going to break his legs. I feel like they were so focused on doing that, they might have come up short because of that, in my opinion. And I mean, you have these kind of players. I mean, you have Mbappe today. You had Neymar yesterday. Yeah. Was Neymar's performance yesterday incredible? I didn't think so. But that Mm. moment, that goal, you know, know, he opens the scoring and it's absolutely brilliant. Very Mm. few players could have done what what he did. Mbappe is the same kind of player, you know. You leave that player on the pitch for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. And you just hope he can produce one of those moments of brilliance, and often they they will do that. Mm. I think personally, it seems like with every goal, Giroud's lips and Mbappe's lips are just getting closer and closer <laughs> and closer. You guys see that mm-hmm. celebration last time around the notebook thing. <laughs> one one of them scores in the World Cup final. They kiss. 
That's my hot take so for I've this podcast. I've heard some rumors. All I'm saying is I've heard some rumors. Right? <laughs> I've heard some rumors and I'm not against it. Encourage it. Giroud is a beautiful man. Mbappe is good looking in his own right. Fantas- both fantastic players. Power to them. So, so this is that kind of podcast. This this is that kind of podcast. Oh, okay, okay. You, you don't listen, Ate. I, you I, don't I, know, I, I bro. I don't listen enough. We get weird, man. <laughs> uh-huh. We get very, very it's weird. Discussion. Yeah, it's a very open discussion. But France, yeah, look, I, I, I think they have... I think, yeah, they, they probably are favorites right now because they've dismantled the best opponents and they haven't really fallen short since the round of 16. They, they haven't really looked in much danger. I mean, England scored from the spot. There was a moment by Teo Hernandez. As a Milan fan, I rate Teo Hernandez up there as one of the best left backs in the world. For sure. I think Kane saved his fucking career tonight. <laughs> I think Kane... Look, I wish Kane scored so... Ah, this is a tough one because I wish Kane scored so that no one would be interested in Teo and no one would buy him off Milan. But now his value remains the same. His value doesn't go down. You know what I mean? But I really do think that Kane saved his career tonight. So are you suggesting that that these elite football clubs make their transfer decisions based on on <laughs> whether Kane scores that penalty or they doesn't. I think if had the situation been more detrimental, then the media would have gone crazier on Teo Hernandez. Yeah. And I think the media dictates a lot on, on how much people are willing willing to spend on certain players. Yeah, I think more than that, what, what can also happen is, is a player can get a little bit crushed by it. So it's very dependent. Yeah. Player. To be fair, I feel, well. I, I feel like Teo Hernandez has a very strong personality, so I feel like he'll probably power through it. Mm-hmm. But, but you often see um, players kind of get consumed by the criticism that they receive and you can see it in players like Maguire, Maguire yeah. who, who has a bit of like a sort of um, if Giroud has a fantastic highlight reel and and so Giroud's a good player with a Pelé level highlight reel yeah Maguire is also a good player and he kind of has the opposite of that where because he can be a bit clumsy at times has an anti-highlight reel where yeah. he can be made to look like a Sunday league player exactly um, uh, and I feel like with Maguire um it's it's kind of affected his confidence and it's made him make more mistakes as time has gone by and it's made him a bit worse as a player. And you can't see that happen to players like Taylor Hernandez if um if things go south in a massive world stage mm. like if, the world if Kane Cup, scores that penalty. There you go. Man. Yeah, if, there you go. If, if things go south in a massive world stage and he's the reason why France get knocked out and the media consumes him and, and, and the people are all against him, then you never know what happens. Exactly. Um and with that said, that was fucking stupid on Taylor Hernandez. It man. was. It was so weird. Well it was going straight into Yoris's like, arms. You never know what Yoris is, but it looked like it was going straight into his arms. Straight rush of blood to the head from Taylor Hernandez. He was pissed in the moment. I don't know what happened there. Mm. Should not have pushed him, but hey, he got out lucky. He got out scot free. A question, a question for you guys: Is that a sending off by the by the Oh, such a good question, Tay. It's such a good question because technically, technically, by the rule book, if you deem that a foul, then it is number one malicious intent, and number two, it's a stopping of a clear goal scoring opportunity. Ball is heading into the box. It's heading over to the player. Player can score. You're the last man. You bring him down. It's a foul. And it's a red card. If that's a foul, it's a red card, in my opinion. The referee does not have the right. Now, look, it's weird because the rules are there for the rules to be stuck to. And we've seen on the highest stages, the referee sticking to the raw rule book and making decisions based on the rule book. And you can't argue that. 
But the reason we have humans as referees and we don't have robots as referees because referees can make judgment. The judgment over here was, yes, he brought him down. Yes, he was the last man. It wasn't a studs-up challenge. It wasn't a painful challenge. And the ball was probably heading into Hugo Uris. So we're in between. I'm going to give him a yellow card. Via the rule book, that's a red. And I'm very strictly in favor of the rule book in a situation like that. I think, Teo, I love you so much, man. I love you so much. But I think you should have been sent off over there. It's funny. I feel like, so if you're right about the rule book, I don't know exactly the rule But if you're right about the rule book, then, then I feel like the referee should always follow the letter of the law. And he should be sent off. As a fan, just watching the game, even though I'm an England fan, seeing that happen, I feel like, no, it's not a red card. Like you said, the ball's going straight into his arms. Um, it was a stupid foul, but like I said, it wasn't some crazy studs-up challenge or, or malicious intent or whatever. Um, I just felt like it was a penalty in yellow, but um, that's not me following the letter of the law. But I think what's happened here is the ref has interpreted that chance not to be a clear goal-scoring opportunity for, for Mount. Mm. Which, it ball, wasn't, which, it, which it wasn't. Which no, it wasn't. I mean, no. I mean, Mason Mount's legs aren't that long. He's he's, no. he's not getting <laughs> to that ball realistically. No. Um, so I I think that's what that's the reasoning behind that decision. Um, but it's 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 it is debatable. It is debatable because I mean. I, there is an assumption going on there that he he has no chance of getting to the ball, right? And if you are saying that Theo Hernandez has has committed the foul. And he has no intention to play the ball there. Mm. We saw that we saw it on Mount as well in the in the Champions League. Uh, Tomori <laughs> made that that a, a similar go. a similar tackle. Uh, he, I believe he had pulled his shirt. He had no intention to play the ball there. Mm-hmm. He was sent off. Yeah, it's very similar. It's similar. Look, it's similar. All 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 I want, all <laughs> I ask for from these referees, no matter what the competition in football is, is an element of consistency. Where can I stand on the fence if the referee and the law doesn't know where they stand on the fence? I just want it to be Jake and I always mention this on the pod. Consistency. Consistency. Because the second there's not consistency, the referee has made a decision. Why has the referee made the decision? Is it because he fancies the team? Is it because the team is at home and he's getting pressured by the fans, so on and so forth? There needs to be consistency. The rule book needs to be implemented in a harsher manner. And if the rule book is implemented in a harsher manner, we will see more consistency. That would have been a red card and perhaps it would have even been a different game. So there's some food for thought for you guys to be a bit angrier. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's the point of following the letter of the law, essentially. So that's why, for example, the Tamari, the Tamari red card, which Theo mentioned, is a good example of one where like you're watching it and you're like, just as a consumer, as a fan, you think it should be a red card. But according to the letter of the, letter of the law, it is, um, mm. and it should be followed as such, just for the sake of, those are literally the rules. Yeah. For the sake of consistency, avoiding bias, and avoiding all these criticisms, avoiding these talking points, which we're discussing right now, mm-hmm. um, uh, it should be a red card for that reason. Yeah. yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. More content, although, um, so you fucking up gives us more things to talk about. I think... We're in a safe space to move over to the next game, which is Morocco 1, Portugal 0. Now, all of us were so wrong in this. I personally said a 3-0 victory for Portugal, coming off the victory that they were coming off without Ronaldo and the team, with with all these young guys wanting to impress, with Leao on the bench, with Joao Felix, Bruno Fernandes with all these guys in such good form that they would have got it done and in a fairly comfortable manner. 
but Morocco proved otherwise. Theo, you had 2-0 to Portugal, not far off from me. What was your logic behind that, you fucking moron? <laughs> I'll ignore that last part. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think I think Morocco Morocco are an interesting team, right? They're I mean, given the given the players they have. Um, it makes complete sense for them to set up um, as a as a counter attacking team. It's worked mm. amazingly well for them. I don't believe they've conceded a single goal from an opposition player. I think they have conceded one goal as an own goal. That's crazy. Interesting. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm, Interesting. That's crazy. Um, I mean, you can you can see why. I think they did a really good job on Spain from a, a defensive point of view. They Spain could not penetrate them in any way. No. Um, they 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 had their number in, in in that aspect. Got through the penalties, had a bit of luck there, and and they they yeah. they, they got through. Heading into this Portugal match, I did think Portugal coming off of the win that they had before the Switzerland game. I did think that that they would be able to carve Morocco open. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think there was a, a, a the storyline going on behind you know Ronaldo being dropped and, oh. and Gonzalo Ramos being like the next uh, I don't know Ronaldo maybe <laughs> <laughs> um was was playing into that Portugal looked like they had a, a they had found they, they were clicking you know they had found yeah. the solution they could create chances and today to be fair they did create chances but but they they didn't take them and what I what really impressed me about Morocco is how deadly they looked on the counter, Oof, and that bro. that that was impressive. There were so many moments where a better final ball and they would have scored. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, I think I, I think a lot of credit to to Morocco. I I didn't predict this one. I will go into the next match uh, expecting them to lose again. But yeah, I've, done exactly. that, I've done that round after round. I think even in the group stage, I didn't expect them to pass through. So, so they're just going to keep on going on and on and, until I, I predict them to win. And then that's when they'll lose, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. James, brother, you said 2-1 to Portugal, probably. I mean, not, not, nothing new here. Portugal are a much better team on paper than than Morocco. No, no, as in clearly I'm a fucking idiot for thinking <laughs> that Portugal beat Morocco. Good man, in, good man. No, just... Uh, no, but jokes aside, uh, Morocco, as in props to them, man. props to Morocco. They've been absolutely amazing in this World Cup. Have they lost the game yet? Um, I think in the group stages, I can actually find out right now. So in the group stages, so they beat Canada, they beat Belgium, and they drew to Croatia. There they you go. Lost so they're on the field. Seriously yet, impressive, man. man. They're seriously impressive. I think given the sample size, we can conclude Morocco are the best team. I think, uh, I, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I think so far. That's entirely down to having you two's front man in goal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with or without you, my love. Um, no, they've actually been seriously impressive. So so the fact, I didn't know that uh, what they said before that they've had only conceded um literally like an own goal would it be mm-hmm. said um yeah. uh, only i've conceded on goal so far is actually crazy um and even if even if they have conceded one or two here and there it's seriously impressive for a relatively small team like morocco to be so solid at the back you'd never expect it um, and what i love about them is whilst being so solid there 
they have so much flair, man. They've got they so do, much man. flair, bro. They They've got so much flair. As in Buffal and Ziyech on the wings is crazy. Mm. Ziyech is an absolute wizard. And I see, I see Buffal as like I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys know Hatem Ben Arfa, man. Of course. I, and I, I, Buffal just reminds me of like a Moroccan Hatem Ben Arfa, where <laughs> <laughs> the guy has just like bags of tricks, man, bags of tricks. Yeah. Um, they're so fun to watch in that sense. So like, at least when they are on the ball, they've got the techers. Um, and and power to them, man. I, I'd I'd love for them mm. to get a result against France, even though I think it's unlikely. It's very unlikely. It's going to be massively uh-huh. difficult. But hey, we said that about them against Portugal, and we definitely said about about them against against Spain as well. Um, yeah. So I don't think anybody's going to be predicting them to win any games. Um, but I'd love for them to keep surprising us. I'd love for them to keep surprising us, and and who knows? Maybe we'll see a crazy yeah. like Morocco Croatia yeah. final. Yeah. Man, see it. Since I've known you, you've always been one. Who like to err on the on the risky side? Okay. Could a Morocco win be on the cards next? I think a, a Morocco win. It, it's it's hard to sit here and tell you no Morocco can't win this game because that's that's what I've said so far. And one thing I do say is when I'm wrong, I learn from it. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I, I've been wrong on a number of occasions about Morocco. Obviously, we all kind of like to romanticize all oh, because they've got players like Amrabat, Bono, Ziek. They could do this. They could do that. But then once we see it happening, we're like, okay, this is going to be short-lived. This isn't going to go very long. They don't have the legs in them. We saw them in the warm-up, two of their players getting their legs fucking um, bandaged up because they're so fatigued, because yeah, yeah. they're not used to playing at this at this level. They're and fucked for the next game. Exactly. They're, they're, they're they fucked for the cover, next game. They have to cover a lot of ground. As a well. lot of ground. Spain passed them side to side. Uh, Portugal made them run as well today. Hakimi versus Mbappe. Oof. Hakimi versus Mbappe. That is going to be a battle, boys. Yeah. As in it, it always feels like it always feels like Mbappe can torch anyone. And you're, you're always going to support him against any football. Yeah. But Hakimi is, what, top three right-backs oh, right course, now? Of course, of course. Without, without um, a doubt. So if you're going to trust anyone, it's going to be him. So, yeah. so they're blessed to have him against, like, up against Mbappe and he's going to have a lot of work to do. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a fucking yeah. crazy battle, man. I think, as I thought, obviously, Ziyech, we mentioned he's got the flair, really important for them on the counters. I think one thing they do is they bring on players like Chedira, who plays for Bari, just because he has a little bit of pace. You give them that long ball when you're defending. Sent off today, though. Sent off today. Sent <laughs> off today. Well, he has missed multiple chances. So it's more of a... Stylistically, they would like to have him. Well, not stylistically, tactically, they would like to have him because he fits in that slot perfectly. Not not for his output. But we've spoken and romanticized about Ziek, Bono, obviously Hakimi. But how important is it to have a player like Amrabat in the team? Now, I'm gonna give myself some props over here. I'm gonna give Jake some props as well. We obviously follow Serie A, so it's easy for us to sit here and tell you who's good and who's not. But on so many occasions, I've pointed out, this player is good, this player is good, and they move to the Prem and they don't do well, or they go to the World Cup and they don't do well. Amrabat, Amrabat has been, so far, the best midfielder in the tournament. The man is, he breaks down play. So I have this saying, on the pod that there's a loose ball, it's not a loose ball, it's Amrabat's ball. That's the way he plays. He breaks down play, he's an engine, he keeps going with the same energy from minute one to minute 100 in this just World like Cup. You, really. not, not just, just like me, just like me. 12 sigs before the 5 <laughs> and I'm non-stop, non-stop. Aside from that, so he breaks down play like Kante, so to say. 
But then he dictates play like Brozovic. He switches play around. He dictates the entire game. He's like, okay, the left is a better opportunity right now. Okay, I'm going to hold the ball over here. He is Morocco. He is Morocco. How highly do you rate him? Would you take him at United? And would you take him at Chelsea? Look, um, uh, so coming into this World Cup in the first couple of games, you haven't stopped just, just bigging up Amrabat. And well, in the beginning, right. and in the beginning, I was just kind of brushing it up, like, yeah, sure, what, whatever, Amrabat. <laughs> we had a guy called Amrabat in Premier League who was all right. What for it? No. Uh, yeah, it was another, I'm just another Amrabat. There's a bunch of them, apparently. <laughs> um, and I kind of brushed it off. And then he had a crazy game against Spain. And ever since then, you just haven't stopped rubbing it in my face. And I can't blame you because, no, no, he's been amazing. And what I love about him is, is that Spain game. So to take it back a couple of weeks, that Spain game, he was up until 3 a.m. the night before taking injections into his legs, um, dealing with an injury. So there, there was big chances. He said himself, there was a massive chance that he wouldn't even play. And then he came into that game and he absolutely fucking dominated, bro. He ran the show um, and he came into the game today. And again, he was super solid. Um, and so no, he's been he's been super impressive, and I think having a player like him in the middle for Morocco to help solidify them in front of the defense and to just make that transition into the attack for their counters, which are everything for them, mm. he's been absolutely huge, yeah. and and I think he is their absolute as in the players like Ziyech, they go before, they go Hakimi, but Amrabat has been the key player. I'll give him yeah. that for sure. Would you take him at Chelsea? I'll take my Chelsea. You'll take anyone at Chelsea. Really? <laughs> Chelsea. At this point, I'll take stuff, right? Yeah, now. right now, I'll just take whoever we can get, man. We, we took up on my hang, so. Have you heard of a certain Danny Drinkwater, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if there's one I won't take, maybe it's him. What's your budget? 40. I heard. <laughs> it was like something, yeah. For you, Tay, what do you think about Amrabat? You kind of look like him as well. I, I, I. Not gonna lie, I'm crushing on you slightly. I, right I, I, I do, I do have to say, uh, Whenever a man from the bold community uh, does something good, I do feel I do feel very proud. You said last time, <laughs> no, when he goes to the barber, you just tell him, listen, just make him look like Amrabat. Yeah, I, do. <laughs> I, I, I always I always opt for the Amrabat. Just show him a photo of Amrabat. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how it is. I I mean, you have, when you have an underdog story, you always have these these players that really shine, and you know they get the mm. publicity. And I I I'm I'm really happy to see it for for Amrabat. He looks he looks really good. Will I take him at United? Yes, definitely. Um, it's 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 been it's been really interesting seeing this this kind of player really stand out. Yeah, and I think he really represents what Morocco are all about. You know, exactly. hardworking, exactly efficient on the ball. Exactly. You know? He's been crucial. Mm. Well, one thing I said on the last episode is watching him at Morocco is like watching him at Fiorentina. And obviously, he puts way more minutes, way more hours working hard at Fiorentina and with his teammates at Fiorentina than he does at Morocco. Um, which makes it all the more impressive that he's so adaptable as well, which makes me think that he would adapt in other leagues. Obviously, he is going to be snapped up by the Prem at some point unless he ends up making a ridiculous under-the-table t- under money with Juventus. He'll end up leaving to the Prem, obviously, for money and for more fame and for more glamour. But that's Morocco for you. Um, We can move on to Portugal. Portugal lost because of the reasons we just mentioned. They They had no shortcomings themselves. They were just outdone the same way Spain were outdone. Spain looked like one of the most convincing teams, especially after that opening match. We all thought Spain... Are going to make it to the semis. Are going to make it to the quarters. 
Is there anything you noticed within this Portugal team that you thought maybe they could have done better, maybe an area they struggled that, that could have taken them over the line in a game like this? I mean, first of all, first of all, they conceded a lot of chances. It, interesting to see uh, this Portuguese team, which which came into the tournament with a reputation for maybe being a bit too a bit too cautious, not creating enough chances, but being you know on the on a bit more defensively solid, which is which is what had won them that uh, that Euros. Mm -hmm. um, today they were really open. They 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 went for it. I think they played into Morocco's hands quite a bit in that aspect. They they consistently mm. hit them on the counter. They did get unlucky with 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 some of those chances. I mean, the Bruno effort was ridiculous. Like what a shot! Oh, that, uh, that was that was crazy. When I actually noticed that he was meant to go for a goal, yes. made it all the more impressive. That's mad. I, again, again, it feels like a match which was really designed by fine margins. Portugal had a lot of chances in this match. I haven't looked at their xG, but I'm sure it was really high. But then again, in a match in a match like this, the quality they have, I mean, I mean, for me, this was the strongest. If we look at the the squad, we look at the squad depth. This was the strongest team left. They yeah. shouldn't. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be looking back on a match like this and 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 thinking, you know, if we scored that chance, we could have. They they it shouldn't have been up to chance in the first place. They should yeah. have. They should have been more. They should have been more convincing here. Um, they didn't. They didn't bring the best out of out of the players they had, and I I, I think it's, it it runs yeah. went down to that. They played into Morocco's hands. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's what's so they It's crazy. They absolutely dominated possession, and in many ways, it looked like they dominated the game. If you know what I mean. So way more shots, way more possession, mm. um, winning the ball way quicker, and all that sort of thing. Um, so you'd have expected them to at least grab a goal today, um, which points which points to some maybe misgivings in their finishing, uh, maybe a bit more intense with their attack. Who knows? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> one question mark I had was not starting Cancelo. I found that to be pretty weird to get uh -huh. a goal. So so I know so he can play left back or right back. I know Guerrero is a fantastic left back, um, even though I think even though I think Cancelo is better. Um, but starting the law doesn't say we own the law. Maybe you think he's good. Maybe you think he's not. I think he's all right. Um, mm -hmm. I think you have to be starting someone like Cancelo ahead of ahead of Dalot. Cancelo for me is top three, top four, top five right back in the world. Yeah, top five no, in the world. Um, he's absolutely amazing. So that's one thing I could say about them. Um, but no, as an I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I feel yeah. like they should have won. They could have won. Um, and I'm 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 I don't really know how it happened. Um, uh, I yeah. mean, I mean, we look, we look at the the decisions that the manager made in Santosh, and I feel like he he has always been very mature with his decision making so far. So, you look at teams like Belgium that that because they have a lot of flair and they have a lot of positively attacking players, he just tries to fit them all into into one team. We see Santosh, and 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 he's got the confidence of keeping Ronaldo out of the team. He's got the confidence of keeping Leao out of the team, and and you know he trusts his intuition. He starts players like Felix. He starts Fernandez. He starts Ramos, um, Silva as well. So I genuinely think that Portugal, had they faced a Croatia, had they even maybe even faced Brazil, they would have had a better shot at this. Because one thing I notice is. A team like Morocco, because they don't have enough 
um, was enough quality within their own starting eleven to just go in and focus on themselves. They're like, okay, we're riding good momentum. We're going to go in. We're going to play our own game. They can try, but we're too strong in our own game for them to affect us. No. Team like Morocco go in, they're going to study you. They're going to know how to break you down. They know your strengths. They know your weaknesses. Teams like Portugal, teams like Brazil, they're like, okay, we know our strengths. We know our weaknesses. This is what we're going to do. Fuck Morocco. They're going to sit back. We're going to attack them. We're going to attack them. We're going to attack them. We have enough quality to get it past the line. You scored a hat-trick last game, bro. If nothing works, we can bring on layout. We can do this. We can do that. And they don't focus enough on the team in front of them. And I think that is why playing a team like Morocco is more awkward than playing a team like Brazil. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because I think we've seen we've seen a few matches like this throughout the tournament. Uh, quite a few matches where the underdog pulled off the upset. You know, you think mm. back to Japan, you think back to Saudi, mm. you look at what Morocco have done. There is definitely something in the <clears throat> fact that that these big teams are not enjoying playing these uh, these underdogs. You know, they come in they come in with spirit. They know that they're just going to sit back. They're going to work hard. They're going mm. to you know put everything out there, and they're just going to try hit you on the counter. Yeah, exactly. And 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 it's been exposed. These teams have been exposed on numerous occasions throughout this tournament. And I, I, there's 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 definitely something there's definitely something there. Mm. And I think it's interesting you make that point. Uh, Portugal might have preferred playing a, a Brazil. Yeah. They might have preferred to be, you know, that team that is is maybe more on the back foot. Exactly. Really hitting them on the break, mm. you know, exposing that space. Which is why, like, like as a Milan fan, I noticed that Milan struggle a lot against teams that play the low block, which is why Milan wouldn't get full three points against Spezia, but then they get full three points against Inter and, and Juve and all of these teams. The second you're faced with and, and bear in mind, these international teams don't have much experience facing sides like that. They're preparing for the biggest stage. They're preparing for, for how to defend against Neymar, how to defend against Mbappe, how to get past some of the best defenders that there are out there. And then they come across something they're not exactly prepared for, but they've got confidence about. And, and, and that's, where they, that's where they slip up. I mean, the low block is a very, very tough fucking system to play against. You're knocking the ball into the box and you've got 10 men inside the box. What the fuck can you do? They brought on Leao. One thing I was telling you is when we're discussing um, Joao Felix versus Leao, I was saying Joao Felix is a more intelligent player and he can dictate play better from the left-hand side. But Leao, if he gets the ball um, from the halfway line on the left-hand side, one step and he's inside the box, which makes him a more dangerous player. So it's up to who they're playing and, and what they want to prioritize. Leao came on, I didn't see him inside the box once because they neutralized him so well. These guys are prepared. They, 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 they're preparing for you. They're preparing for Leao, not for themselves. They don't have enough quality in their camp. Can they go all the way? I don't know, man. Can they do it? Can Morocco fucking do it? Fuck speaking about Portugal. They're out now. They prove us wrong every time. So theoretically, they can, sure. Um, uh, we're gonna keep on playing them to lose every time, and they're just gonna hopefully keep surprising us. But I have to take it back to Portugal just real quick one time. Go um, for it. I also want to address the elephant in the room, which I'm sure you thought about a little bit. I'm sure Jake all across the world in Africa is thinking about right now and <laughs> crying his heart out at, mm. which is why isn't Leo starting or why wasn't he starting? Good now, question. I don't have a problem with it. But I'm sure I'm sure Jake's very angry about it. And I'm wondering what your opinion as a Milan fan is, man. 
I think it brings me back to my former point, man. I think, um, again, it's a mature... It, it, no matter what Santosh does in this case, it's controversial. Just like the same thing we said about Southgate, when he benches Foden, when he benches Saka, when he benches Rashford. The fact of the matter is a decision needs to be made. You're not going to play players out of position because that's not what they're trained to do. That's not what they're wired to do. So you have to make a strict decision. Joao Felix has been one of the best players this tournament so far. He's been incredible. And it's great to see him play. Exactly. Because he's so so normal at Atletico because of the system that Atletico play. It's great to see him on the stage doing what he Mm. does. Leao could have been utilized better in the sense that when it comes to making a substitution, I don't think Portugal had much of a plan B because they're so strong when it comes to direct substitutions that they could rely on a change of personnel to fix things. But what about a change in the system? When you face a team like Morocco that are giving you the low block, is there a change in formation that was made, maybe moving to a 4-4-2, maybe putting Leao as a striker and utilizing Felix out wide, for example? I think he could have been used better as a super sub, even he was brought on very late in every single game now. Um, so I personally have no problem with him not starting the game, although it is the flip of a coin. And again, you start players depending on who you're facing, preparing for the team in front of you. There are certain cases where Leao should have started. There are certain cases where Felix should have started. Um, but he could have been utilized way, way better as a sub. I'm eager to hear your take, Tay. I mean, coming off coming off the the six one win, I think he was always going to go with with uh, the same the same eleven there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a big 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 part of these tournaments is is confidence. You know, there's momentum. He was always going to play that 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 same eleven, and um, to be fair, it 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 worked thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand. I understand why he why he would. He would go with that. Um, there are always going to be questions when you get knocked out. What could, what could have been done different? As as Jamie mentioned, though, I mean, Felix Felix was never going to be dropped. Are you going to change system after a win like that? Probably no not. Way. No way. So, what I will what I will say is that uh, if that's the elephant in the room, then I don't know what kind of elephant Cristiano Ronaldo is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I have two questions here. Before you say that, I'll close this, I'll close the Leo conversation <laughs> by saying the only people I've heard who say Leo should be starting are Milan fans. All right, yes, I don't want to leave that. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair That's enough. Fair enough. Two fair questions enough. here. Uh huh. Okay. Let's let's go with the easy one first. Should Cristiano Ronaldo have started? I think people have uh, no. most people have the same opinion no. on this. Next question. No. Okay. <laughs> Second no. question. He cries in a really strange way. No, uh, look, look. Th- th- this uh, is I my problem. This is, this is my problem. <laughs> this is my. This is my fucking. This is my fucking problem. And it's not only when you're on the camera, but I notice it in people that are crying in general. When you cover your face before you start crying, when you make it obvious that you're crying because you start covering your face, it's a bit of an act, in my opinion. <laughs> If your eyes start welling up, a tear comes down and you cover your face because, oh my God, people are going to fucking know I'm crying. Then you're covering the fact that you're crying and you're like, oh my God, Ronaldo cares so much. Jesus Christ. But he's covering his face the second the final whistle blows before his lips even quiver. And I'm like, with the cameras here and there. I have had a knack for, for the art of the cry. 
Det där, då, oh, elaborate please. I mean, I mean, your analysis when it comes to to crying is mm. unmatched. Is what I'm saying here. Okay. <laughs> Men should cry. Men have every right, right to cry. Right. That's one no, thing only. And it feels good. Endorphins and all that. That the way the way. You love a good cry. Uh, I cry once every two years. It feels great every time. Though. When he does, I'm holding him. So <laughs> it's time. always a good thing. It's tears of joy. Um, uh, no, like look, he cried, and and I I'll kind of disagree with you in that. I think it was genuine, and I think it's if I'm putting myself in Ronaldo's shoes. Um, which is not easy to do when you're followed by 500 million people and and probably one of the richest men in the world. You have something close to that, no? Uh, <laughs> around 900, I think. A, well, if you're on the top 10 years, 500 million, I'm there. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, if I if I'm in my Ronaldo's shoes and I'm I'm turning 38, this is this look this is his last World Cup. This was it. This is the last World Cup. This is the last chance. So we had the Euros, which I'm sure felt great, but let's be honest, World Cup is a holy grail. And he just lost to fucking Morocco, yeah. um, so I think he was feeling at the moment. I think he's realized. I think he just got hit to the sudden realization that yep, um, Chris, Cristiano Ronaldo, I'm the probably second best player ever <laughs> to play the game, um, and I'm leaving the game without the World Cup, mm. which which hey, that stings. It stings. That stings. It, it stings. I'm, that. I'm sure he was emotional, but I think he's quick to kind of showcase I'm the main character and I am upset <laughs> more than anyone because. Of what you just said, basically, I'm that's 38 years old. That's unlike Ronaldo. <laughs> no, Ronaldo hates being the center of Main character. He's sitting down with Piers Morgan as we speak. Oh, 100, 100 We should have started. <laughs> Portuguese accent. Right? So what's 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 before you you segue onto the next uh, exciting part of this podcast? Mm. What is next for Cristiano Ronaldo? Will we ever see him at another international tournament? Can I make a point before you speak? Yes. I think genuinely, because it feels like I'm disrespecting Ronaldo a little bit, I think he still has the quality to contribute for Champions League level teams. Does that mean he's going to be the star man in every team? No. Does it mean he might come off the bench? Yes. Does it mean he might have to play in a two up front in, in a maybe system that doesn't allow him to shine the way that he likes to shine? Definitely not. I still think he has it in him. And, and for example, his finishing is still incredible. There was a moment he had half a chance and yeah. he had to get Bono reacting. And he had to get the best out of Bono to save that, that strike. But, but I don't think any team is willing to sacrifice their identity mm -hmm. to suit Cristiano Ronaldo. Not even for a season. And bear in mind his wages. He bankrupted Juve alongside COVID. Juve had Ronaldo and COVID at once, man. It's, it's no fucking joke. So I don't think any team is, would be... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone would be willing to take Ronaldo for the wage reason and his demands, man, as well. He's too much of a superstar. Yeah. Look, I think it goes well. Hank has two paths ahead of him and it's entirely up to him which one he chooses. So I think either he takes the romantic route and he goes back to Lisbon, takes the pay cut and has a beautiful last couple of years two, three years playing his heart out, boyhood club, bit of Champions League football and help elevate them however he can. And he would be a great addition for them because he is a fantastic player. He could still play Premier League football, Serie A, whatever. He's a fantastic player. So he could do that. Um, but I think the more realistic option and this is unpopular, but I think it's a fair option from his sort of selfish perspective would be 
take the much talked about Saudi Arabia um, mm. job that has been talked about. Years. I mean, look, if you've got 500 million two and a half years placed right in front of you, no matter who you are, it's going to be hard to say no. It took him his entire career to make that much and he's about to make it in two and a half years. What's yeah. the first um, thing you would do, so, yeah. Jamie, with, with that kind of money? Oh, I'd love I'll, to hear this. No, I'll, I would donate it all to charity. You've always been the thing. Yeah, you, you're really, really good like yeah, that. No, Robin Hood of modern days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just... Uh, what would you do with that money? Take 500 million. Uh huh. Your first hour with 500 million. My first When you're done with the strippers. <laughs> <laughs> I'd um, I'd probably go get another Amrabat type haircut. <laughs> <laughs> well, just that's a more expensive barber. Good <laughs> <laughs> Tony and guy. 500 million. I can't even imagine, man. No, I mean, take a day off. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think. Not I think. Quit. I think. Not quit. I think. So, I think take a day off. Think I think. Back, get back to say it on the Monday. Donate an amount to free hour, definitely to for for boosting for boosting purposes only. Um, no, it's 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 tough to say. Everything I want, I guess, a big house, a nice car, then buy my girlfriend a. Big house and a nice car, then by my mom, a big house and a nice car. And actually all in your own houses, big houses and all yeah, your own nice cars. Exactly. I've I've always told Jake, my co-host, that if uh, this is a mutual agreement between us, if any of us come across great money out of nowhere, the other person is entitled to a portion. Now, what is the portion? I don't know. I think I would give something. Jake a healthy at least 25%. Of that to do his thing. That's fair. No, that's very sweet. That's very Amazing. Sweet. That's very sweet. Thank you. Netherlands <laughs> to Argentina to. It took to the 120th minute for Netherlands to find the equalizer in spectacular fashion. I was really pissed that our stream got stuck at yours, Jamie. Uh, but it was Sorry one of the that. most entertaining matches we've seen. I had it 2-1 to Argentina, so I was literally three seconds away from moving up, what, like two places in our predictor. Theo, you also said 2-1 Argentina. Why? I I think I think the Netherlands... Um, so when you look at the Netherlands, you look at obviously at Louis van Gaal. I think, um, I think he sets the Netherlands Can up. Can I just stop right there? Louis van Gaal's <laughs> army. Go on. Every team talks us like that, man. <laughs> it's been confirmed. At Serie spotlight yeah, as well. They have the that famous story in the Bayern dressing room where he walks in, he drops his pants, and he points to his his very old large. old large large yeah wrinkled ball sack. <laughs> And he, he basically tells them that they need to have some of that to play for the club. <laughs> it's, uh, so he's not wrong, I guess. Yeah, yeah, fair yeah. point. Yeah. He said some weird things. Yeah, Jamie, Would I, mean, I transmit the message like that? I don't know. But I mean, that's what I was ask, Jamie, you have a somewhat of a managerial role in your day-to-day life, right? Have, have you ever considered dropping your pants? Um, <laughs> I've, no, I've never thought about it. I think HR might flag that. <laughs> Um, but hey, football's a different game. There's, you know, showers after the game and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my pants uh, are it's down. Not my, it's not my style, let's say that. Yeah. It's not my style. 
You guys can't see it. We haven't invested in video yet, but my pants are down just to display yeah. the uh, amount of balls. Every week, by the way, Jake and Jake can not do this podcast without any pants. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, balls out. There's a strict balls out. Uh, we're, yeah. All, yeah, we're all guys. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're all exactly. friends. We're all friends. Exactly. It's all so, so speaking of old things, uh, Louis van Gaal's style of play. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, I mean, you can see. You can see what he, he tries to do. He tries to set Netherlands up. Um, to be first of all very defensively solid uh, they have quality they have quality in the forward positions as well um i never really fancied them to to go all the way i think argentina have much more to them much more flair you know i'm i'm, I'm much more um inventive style of play mm. let's say uh, and and argentina looked 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 comfortable for the most part and then they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what what I what I really enjoyed from this game and I think I think it's been probably the moment of the tournament for me is is that free kick. Oh man. I mean I mean one of those moments where you feel like I've just I've just witnessed something special, yeah. you know? Yeah, all 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 all, all of the, the the pressure on that last kick of the game and he Madonna. goes for a pass. You know, we all we all love a, a well-worked set-piece routine. But in the last the minute of the game, mm-hmm. incredible, incredible. Yeah, so and that's what that's what fucked your prediction. That, over. yes, 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 yes. I will admit to being somewhat brokenhearted, but I had to accept that sometimes the football gods have yeah. their own plan and I have to accept it. Yeah. James, yeah, the one one. So you had the outcome down, obviously just the number of goals over there. So you were quite close to getting to getting that right. What is it about? Because you look at Argentina, Netherlands, and 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 the kind of journey they had. Although, albeit like Argentina had a hiccup against Saudi Arabia, I thought Argentina came in as clear favorites. It was always going to be a scrap, um, a game full of yellow cards, a game, two completely different styles as well of teams facing off against each other. Why did you think that this would lead to a stalemate? I'm a genius. Okay. Um, so yeah. there's okay. that, first of all. You kind um, of know um, ball. I know, <laughs> I, I think I know everything. Um, but no, no, jokes aside. Um, so coming to this tournament, I didn't have much hope for Netherlands. Um, I believe I'm not sure if it's the Euros or the tournament before that, but I believe it's the Euros. They didn't qualify. Yeah. Um. So they've been underperforming for quite a while. Um. They're they had a bit of a golden golden generation a few years ago. The likes of Snyder and and Kuntelar and Robin and Van Persie and all these and De Jong, um, who was also a karate expert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But not um. So they had they had a fantastic generation not too long ago, but that's kind of dwindled over the years. Um, so I came into this tournament, I, I wasn't even really seeing them as a big team anymore. I was thinking of the big teams, I was thinking of the likes of Argentina and Brazil and England and all of these. And the Netherlands weren't quite there for me. But to their credit, they came into this tournament and up until this game, they were one of the few undefeated teams. Unlike Argentina, who lost the game. I can't remember against who, but they lost. Yeah, Saudi Arabia. So yeah, there you go, against Saudi Arabia. Um, so the Netherlands came into this undefeated. So I felt like... Although they may have been under, oh sorry, overperforming in this tournament to an extent that they would carry on riding that momentum. The fact that they were undefeated has to be respected to an extent. And Argentina, for their greatness, for their individual brilliance and players like Messi um, uh, and a bunch of others, they still do have certain gaps. They're not a perfect team at all. I think compared if you compare them to the likes of France or even Brazil mm. and these other teams, um, there's a lot more solidity in the in other top teams. Um, uh, so I felt like. 
those gaps combined with Netherlands having Netherlands having a bit of momentum would result um, would result in a stalemate. Um, I'm still confused at how players like Otamendi are are starting hey, at centre back. Hey. I'm yeah. confused at how a player called McAllister is is Argentinian and, and, and not Scottish. Um, um, Even Claude Macalele was 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 French and not Scottish, bro. <laughs> Macalele, there you go. One no, hell of a Scottish. These sir. things, these things just boggle my mind. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, those, those things, the gaps in Argentina's team and Netherlands having a bit of momentum, not losing a game yet, made me think. Yeah, they 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 have that solidity, um, mm-hmm. and that they they could they could um, at least you know, join and see what happens, which didn't yeah. need happen. Which didn't need happen. And, and by the way, you, meant, you mentioned that players like Otamendi were starting at the back for Argentina. Really interesting to see that Daily Blind was starting as left wing back for the Netherlands. Obviously, he's, he's been there for so many tournaments. He is how old now? He's, he's 32. He's 32. That's not too bro, old. Like, bro, he's I swear, he's could have easily been like 57. Louis Van Gaal really likes Daily Blind. He really fits into his his uh, style of play well he's mm. he's a great uh he's a great diagonal passer he, mm. he 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 he's very good at playing out from the back um, he's a very composed player very positionally aware he mm. loved him he loved him at united yeah yeah um, he's loved him for the boss, for the dutch he's uh, he he had a good tournament i believe he scored um i believe he scored in in one of the games um it was against the usa the yes. USA. Yes. A nice clean yeah. finish. Happy yeah. Happy and and like looking at the Netherlands squad, so obviously there are some, like we said, there's like Daily Blind, Noppert, the goalkeeper as well, third choice for, for Ajax. Great story. Um, players like Timber, who I've never heard of, but they've got some quality over Gakpo here. Gakpo's a great player. Gakpo. De- got, I've always got, loved the Depay as well. De- Depay, Stephen Bergwijn, obviously me being a Serie A head, I have to mention De Hone, they have Dumfries, Dumfries solid. Um, and also a little Coop they have on the bench as well, and Coop Miners who comes on and he does a fantastic job every single time. Um, a, a product of Gasperini, a product of Atalanta. When it comes to dead ball situations, when it comes to knocking the ball into the area, he's fantastic, and we saw that as well in this World Cup. It's a shame that the players like De Jong, De Jong, and Gakpo playing in central midfield, it's dif- it's difficult to accommodate all of these players. But I do think that a little bit more of Coupe Miners could have made them a little bit more difficult. I don't know if you guys know much about, about Coupe Miners. He's very versatile. He can play in multiple different positions. Still a young guy. We need to find out how old he is over here. Ta, 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 ta. 24 years old. 24 years old, so just a year uh, than no, as in, I'll trust that he's solid, but I still think that their their problems lie in... They have a thin squad, is the problem. Yeah. Um, uh, so even relying on players, like I think both their goals were scored by Veghurst, the game of the bench. Yeah. Um, as I'm sure he's fine, and I'm sure, and and I trust Bonnie to be solid as well. And they got a and again, they have a couple of solid players in there, like Van Dijk and a few others. Uh, but you compare their their full squad to the likes of France, Argentina, England, and all these, yeah. where we mentioned England's England's bench before and how strong they are. Compare them to compare them to Netherlands first team, and and England's bench will literally compete with Netherlands first team. Yeah. Um. So I think Netherlands have just dwindled over the years for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. surprising to be honest because Netherlands have always had fantastic academies and places like Ajax and PSV yeah. and Feyenoord and all these. Uh-huh. Um. But it, they're just not so impressive anymore. Um. Yeah. And I'm not sure why. I'll but tell you, I'll tell you what is impressive. Did you know? Did you know that a record was broken yesterday? Okay. 
the World Cup yellow cards record actually. Oh. 17 yellow cards were dished out. Mad! In this Don. match. In this 17. match. 17. It was aggressive, to be fair. I was going to mention matches. my favorite. Like, so it was a pretty scrappy game. So it got entertaining towards the end with two goals on each side. Uh, but the first half was really scrappy and, and a bit boring, to be honest. And, then, and my favorite moment of the entire game was. Paredes <laughs> just out of nowhere whilst I believe they were up as well at the time so we really didn't yeah, need to do it up. Uh, they were winning and they were, just, they were just relatively comfortable at the time just smacking the ball yeah. into the Netherlands reserves <laughs> the innocent vulnerable Netherlands reserves just sat there watching on in despair <laughs> and Paredes just smacks it with all his might like yeah. he, got, he got lucky he didn't hit anyone because it was a couple yeah. inches away from one of their, one of their subs mm. no yes. idea what happened there but I loved it Van Dijk so brought much. And down, I've never seen like ten Dutchmen <laughs> run so fast <laughs> in, in my Don't life. Fuck man. Like he's massive. Paredes was, and then the the same. Yeah, before I say that, it's in, it's incredible how personal this game got. It mm-hmm. seems like there's a lot of beef. A lot of Argentine players who had played for United don't like Van Gaal's system. Players like Di Maria who hated his man management tactics. You mentioned Theo before this podcast where he um, Di Maria had a goal and an assist in a United game <laughs> and. After the match, Van Gaal went up to him, showed him his highlights and told him, this is where you were shit, this is where you were shit, this is where you were shit, and gave him no positive words of affirmation, which obviously footballers that are struggling, like Di Maria, was needed at that at that time. Um, but it was Paredes that, that made that foul in a dangerous area, uh, which, which led to the 120th minute goal by, by the Netherlands. It's, it's crazy to see the change that Argentina would have made bringing on a more defensive-minded player and then the change that the Netherlands would have made in bringing on Weghorst, which is a way more attacking player, and then just working in total opposite ways. So Weghorst getting that goal in the last minute and Paredes just fucking it up. A very clumsy free kick to give away. And at that time, with all the personnel that that Netherlands have to stand over the ball as well from the ball situations, players like Coke Miners, um, I think much like Teo Hernandez, he got away with it because of his friend named Emiliano Martinez. What a fucking game Emiliano had, man. What a goalkeeper. I love him, man. I love him. So he's, he's I think people who don't watch Premier League might not, might not know too much about him. Um, but the guy's hilarious, man. Um, every time he's in a penalty shootout, he just starts playing these mind games with the players and starts dancing around and kicking the ball around and putting funny faces Shit at them. You, man. And the thing is, he backs it up. So if a player, if a player, a goalie or a player starts doing that and then misses the penalty or doesn't save a thing, um, he just looks like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. But Martinez does that and then is is together with that one of the top three penalty savers in the world. Hands sure. down, For and he sure. proved that. He it's proved it's that him, Donnarumma, and Chesney, in my opinion. I agree. I'd literally put those three. I'd literally put those three. Um, uh, so I love it when a player can absolutely chat shit and then back it up. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm happy for him and I'm proud of him. He's brilliant. Yeah. And and what's beautiful is this guy, what, one, two years ago, they'll remember, this guy was just Arsenal's backup goalie. This man, guy had barely Leno. had a sniff of first team football for ages. Um, and then Leno got injured. Had half a, Martinez had half a season and killed it and then fucked off to Aston Villa and has been I believe it's Aston Villa right yeah um, and has been and has been fantastic ever since mm-hmm. and look at him look at him now man he's 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 killing it at the World yeah. Cup it's a beautiful beautiful hero arc mm-hmm. can I just point out that I did say Argentina to win the league sorry to win the World Cup 
outstanding performance of saying Messi and being boring. So Emiliano Martinez because of their league of defense uh, on this. I'll, I'll give you credit for that. And and definitely a better prediction than one of our other colleagues who said the stand-up performer would be none other than Michi Batshuayi. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I won't name him, but No, yeah. we won't. We won't. He was a bit embarrassed by that prediction as well. So, uh, Theo, what do you think of Emiliano? I mean, I, I just, I just love, I just love players that endorse the art of shithousery. Yeah, you've and, always loved Martinez, and Martinez is fantastic at this. He, he gets into players' minds. You know, he, the the way he celebrated when he made that second save. Mm. I mean, there's also the video going around after they won the match where he says, "I fucked you twice." <laughs> <laughs> And he says this multiple times. He points to the Dutch bench. He he made them known that yeah. that you know mm-hmm. he is the man. Exactly. And uh, I I love players like this. And I I think it's an interesting um, point to look at, at the Argentinian players and how many of them actually have this this uh, this Quality. this the side to them. You know, they're aggressive. They mm-hmm. they're hungry. You know, they they're they're willing to put their body on the line to get into other players' heads. And I, I think I think that gives them a really good chance, you know, of going of going sure. all the way. And I mean, uh, we'll discuss a bit more when the Brazil game comes up, but uh, I'm, I'm disappointed we won't get that, that semi against, oh, against Brazil. Oh, man. That I'm, would have given me a semi. Yes, it would have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping. I'm hoping we get a uh, we we get them in the final. Though I think with the stakes as high as that, we'll see some mm. very very interesting yeah. things. And that leads me to the question. I mean, they were somewhat favourites coming into this alongside Brazil. Everyone was looking at the the South American teams. Um, players like Messi, players like De Paul, players like Molina, players like Romero at the back as well. McAllister was proven to be really good. Alvarez coming in. To replace um, uh, Lautaro as well. It's just a lot of quality for this Argentina team. We saw that there's a strong element of togetherness, especially with the way they tackled um, the Netherlands in this game. They out-toughened them, so to say. Do you think, because you, you guys said that France um, are favourites to win the entire thing. France against Argentina as a World Cup final, which is probably the most popular kind of prediction, you know, think Argentina have a solid fucking chance to take France down, man. Especially run them over in that midfield area. So I think Argentina have a massive hurdle in, in getting past Croatia, first of all. Um, so I think Croatia are super solid in the semis. And that's going to be a massive game in itself. Um, obviously, they're favourites. But I, I wouldn't put them as massive favourites just because of how hard Croatia are to break down. But assuming they do make it through, which is the likelihood... Um, Argentina, France, if France make it there, it would be a beautiful game to watch. <sighs> Can they win? Yes. They're extremely strong, especially with the likes of Messi. And it would be poetic for Messi to finally get his World Cup. He yeah. obviously deserves it. I'd love to see it. Um, and there's a big part of me which wouldn't like to see France win two World Cups in a row for whatever reason. <laughs> um, uh, but with that said, France's quality throughout doesn't just, I mean, just compare them man for man. France's team is incredible, and and I can't say I think Argentina would beat them. I think I think France France would quite easily be favourites, even though Argentina are very strong. Mm. I think I think Argentina have a great chance. I think they have a great chance. 
there's a good point about Croatia. They have a they have a definite obstacle there. I think it's 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 a winnable game. I mean, Croatia will sit back. They've proven that they'll do that. And uh, and uh, when you have a certain Lionel Messi in the middle of the park, obviously, mm. uh, there's there's always there's always a good chance he's gonna pull something out sure. and, and 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 decide the game mm. against France will be will be the the test for them. Mm. Squad squad depth is also a topic of conversation for Argentina, bringing on the likes of Lautaro Di Martinez, Di Maria, Di Maria, Dybala, Papu Gomez. These are serious fucking exactly. players. Yeah. These are serious players. They go off 4-2-4 if they're mm. one goal down. And also, like I mentioned with France, having that belief because they've won things together. Argentina also have done that. They won the Copa America. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, they, it won't be their first taste of a final mm-hmm. together. I think there's a very uh, good collective cohesion between, between mm. the uh, Argentinian players. I think that would be a that would be a really fascinating match if it, mm. if we get the Argentina France match and and with Messi with Messi and the story going on there, mm. I think he'll have a lot of players playing for yeah. him specifically. Oh, one hundred percent. My prediction, just so you know, is the final will be France against Argentina. Argentina to win on penalties. I think the second it goes to penalties, there's no debate. I mean, we saw France in the Euros getting knocked out was Switzerland mm. on penalties. Um, and on the other hand, Argentina with Emiliano on goal. I mean, and then France having Yoris in goal. I, I think that's what this is all leaning towards. But yeah, fuck it, whatever. You guys can have your silly little as opinions. In, I think, as in, look, I think the likelihood is always going to be a France Argentina final. Um, I would fancy France to win. Um, uh, but with that said, I'll still say I think Croatia have a really big chance at, at taking Argentina down. Um, just on the way set up, I I I feel like Argentina Croatia will go to penalties, um, mm. and I think they have a solid chance, man. But okay, regardless, that, that France, France win the end. That penalty shootout would be interesting, especially with Livakovic in goal for Croatia and Emiliano in goal for Argentina. Should we shift to Croatia? The That's final right. game we're gonna be covering is Croatia one Brazil one. Croatia go through four two one penalties thanks to two saves by none other than Livakovic. I had Brazil 2-0. Teo, you had Brazil 2-0 as well. Jamie, you had Brazil 2-1. Why were we all so confident? I think it's clear why. Because Brazil were favourites. Brazil coming off a massive victory. Bit cocky in that victory. I think as much as Roy Keane is very conservative when it comes to his analysis and I hardly find myself agreeing with him. I think that all the dancing and prancing around they did every time they scored a goal in front of the opposition with the manager involved was very annoying, very disrespectful. I didn't even enjoy it as a spectator. You've um, never been a, a fan of Brazilian dancing, however. But that, look, there is certain Brazilian dancing that actually, Teo, I love more than any other dancing in history. So <laughs> I will I will contradict you on that. That jumping around, though, was fucking annoying. You didn't like no, the chicken thing. The chicken is great. The chicken you is great. You definitely love the chicken. <laughs> After a few pints, I've seen you do the chicken. I've done the chicken. That, that's normally my mating call. <laughs> that's why I haven't done it in around five years. <laughs> but yeah, we were all confident for our Brazil win. Where we kind of, I don't know, you, you seem all high and mighty on Croatia now. You weren't high and mighty when they were playing Brazil. Why was that? So... I, I believe, and I still believe this, despite despite the loss, 
that uh, Brazil were the best team in this competition. Mm-hmm. I think I, they had the they had the best squad when you look uh, from from defense to attack. I mean, they were stacked, and they were not only stacked with with great players, but they were stacked with difference makers. You know, match winners. Yeah. Yeah. The the players they had incredible. Um, I think as well besides this. Leading up to the tournament, they're playing very good stuff. They played very good stuff in the in the groups as well. Yeah. It was all shaping up really nicely. On another day, they could have taken some more of those chances. They could have they could have uh, you know maybe been a bit more defensively solid once they took the lead and just seen the game out. They didn't do it once you're in, once you're at penalties. Yeah, it's it's a toss of the coin at that point. Exactly. Um, for me, I think it's a bit of a shame that I, I feel I've been robbed of a Brazil Argentina semi final. That would have been a lovely evening. Mm. It, Argentina Croatia doesn't have exactly the same ring to it. <laughs> Absolutely not. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe a few drinks and we can think about it a bit differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, as in, it's it's funny. Like, I feel like as in, I was really disappointed in Brazil to be honest in that game. I feel, I feel like. Um, they got caught up, or they tend maybe tend to get caught up in the sort of brand that Brazil has. Too many touches of uh-huh. Uh-huh, being these fucking players with techers and tricks and uh-huh. skinning down the wing and all that. So maybe I don't know if it's them getting caught up in that or them that just being truly true to themselves in in the obvious move for them is to dribble. Uh, but so many times during this game in particular, um, more than in, in any of their other games. I was seeing any one of their attackers, whether it's Rafinha, Vinny, Neymar, Jarison, or, or the ones who came on, um, where they'd have the ball on the wing. Um, and there'd be clear passes to make, very clear, good passes to make. And they just insist um, on just bombing down the wing and trying to beat their man every mm. single time. Mm. Uh, players like Anthony as well. I know Theo loves him, but players like Anthony as well. I feel like they just get way too caught up in in beating their trying to beat their man, uh, which it has, it just reminds me of like playing playing football. With my friends were eight years old, and there's that, <laughs> one, there's that one guy on the team who, who who's alright. He's really good. He's really <laughs> there's that one guy on the team who's really good, but like and like you'll pass him because he's the best. But then he just you're never gonna get the ball back. Yeah, and it's like it's like Brazil had four of those up front. Uh, I, I feel like that. that that was that was prevalent because I understand that they have a lot of players, especially for example, Vinny and Rafinha and Richardson and Neymar, that, that can beat their man, which is at the right time a massive asset. But when you're trying to transition play from the right to the left, and each time you can't play one touch football because they need to take two, three touches to go like, oh, 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 what am I gonna do now? What am I gonna do now before they pass the ball? Yeah. Really, really, for the amount of pace that they have. They slowed themselves down so much with the amount of touches that each player took in transitional play. And that allowed Croatia to take their shape and and transition into their shape easier when it came to defending, um, which made them simply harder to to break down. And naturally, they managed to get a goal back, they managed to take it to penalties. And obviously, with Levakovic being the difference maker that he is, managed to take it over the line. I think it says more, does it say more about Croatia or Brazil, this result, Croatia advancing? I think it's a bit of both. So like I said, so Brazil, Brazil fucked up in, 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 in how they decided to attack, I felt like. Um, and that's partially down to themselves, partially down to Croatia's setup in the sense that I feel like Brazil should have expected Croatia to set up in the way they did. 
Um, and what I mean by that is Croatia were obviously going to sit back. Croatia were going to have eight, nine, ten players in and around the box, which is going to make it impossible for for the likes of Rafinha to try and just what skin three players and yeah. then get through on goal. No way, it's not going to happen. Um, but with that said, powers Croatia, man, they were they were excellent and they had so much heart in how they played. I'm loving seeing Perisic. I feel like he's been around for ages, mm-hmm. um, and he's still doing so well. Um, I think he played quite advanced in 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 um, the game against Brazil, and even in his old age, uh, still has a lot of attacking flair. Yeah. He might not be as quick as he used to be, but he's still always creating chances, getting shots on goal. Mm-hmm. And they were strong, man. They were strong. They might not have the big names that Brazil have, but the likes of Perisic, the likes of Kovacic, Brozovic, um, they're doing a lot. Modric, Modric, yeah, still in Modric. his old age. Modric, now yeah. Modric in his old age. Tell what us, a guy, man. Tell us, what a guy. Tell us a bit about Modric, Theo. I know yeah. you romanticize him. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're pointing this question at me because every Croatia game that comes on, I want to talk about Modric. Every, every time he touches Boyak, oh my, oh my 37 God. years old, still making runs down the channels. Still winning the ball back. I mean, this is this is a player that will go down in history. I mean, even when you look at the fact that he's 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 made the final um, of the World Cup with Croatia, and now he's he's in won the, the Ballon d'Or that season. Won well, the Ballon d'Or yeah. that season. Now we see him in the in the semis of the World Cup with them again, right in the heart of it. It's 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 really lovely to see that, and I'm 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 happiest to see Croatia go this far because of him. Yeah. One hundred percent. It's an amazing, it's an amazing storyline. Mm. And and as well, just you, you look at um, not particularly the personnel in the lineup that Croatia have, but you look at the way they operate, the great balance that they have within the team. You look at in particular, firstly, massive shout out obviously to Levakovic for being the great shot stopper that he is. The back two of Lovren and Gvardiol, brilliant. Particularly Gvardiol has been a monster, the best centre back in this competition. So far, in my opinion, let me know if I'm disrespecting anyone with that statement. Harry Maguire. <laughs> um, that midfield three, that midfield three, that Excellent, is man. set up in such a beautiful way. So you have Brozovic, who stays back. His job is between the midfield and the defence, dictating the play. He lets you know where the play is going to go. He's that metronome. The same way that Inter are reliant on him on a weekly basis. Same way that Croatia rely on him he does the exact same thing he's that fucking metronome he's that Jorginho for them so to say Kovacic with that box to box that energy he gives you 90 minutes running up and down winning the ball back turning defense into attack defense into attack defense into attack Modric on the other hand everything he touches turns into gold it seems like if you're in a tight area, you don't know what to do, you want to play it safe, you want to get the best outcome possible, being a Croatian player is incredibly easy. Look up and look for Luka Modric and he will spot the perfect thing to do at any given moment. He has aged so brilliantly because he's matured and he's used experience to learn more about the game. And it seems like no matter where he is, he understands the players in his team so well. He knows where they are constantly. He knows where to play a pass. He plays passes without even looking. The man just knows. He knows everything. And he is definitely one of my favorite players of all time. To be 37 years old and to be playing at the level he is with an underdog team like Croatia and doing all that. It's underrated as fuck what he's been doing. Has he surpassed? The Xavi's and the Iniesta's. I saw this debate on Twitter today, but I'd like to take 
I'd like to see what you guys think. <sighs> Surpassed is hard to say because because those guys were incredible and and they won a World Cup as well. As they won they they won a World Cup and two Euros, so they had one. I remember they won three three tournaments in a row together, which was mm. ridiculous and might never be done again, at least in our lifetimes. Um, and not only that, but what they did with with Barcelona was ridiculous as well under Pep and a few other a few other managers as well. But that takes nothing away from Modric because if he's He's either at that level or very close to it, in my opinion. Mm. Five um, Champions uh, League, he's won. No, he that's, that's an incredible stat. And he's been so good for so long as well. As in, I remember him at Spurs 10 plus years ago when he was still relatively young, 26, 27 years old. Um, and he was just as good then as he is now, just a different mm. style of player. So maybe that back then he had more more energy, less intelligence. And it's like, with, with, with the... As he's packed on the years, as time goes by, maybe he's lost a bit of physicality or whatever. Like you said, you said very rightly yourself, he's just gained intelligence. He's gained that composure and has a bit more measure in his play. Um, and he's just absolutely brilliant. And I love the fact, I love the fact that against Brazil, um, he puts in 120 minutes still. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're 120 fantastic minutes. And he takes a penalty as well at the end, scores it. Uh, it's brilliant, man. It's a beautiful story. I love mm-hmm. the man. He's brilliant. Yeah. And... Obviously, you remember, I don't know if you guys remember, he joined Real Madrid in 2012 under Jose Mourinho. And for the first season, he was dubbed and voted as the worst signing of that season worldwide in football. And to just have that moment would... We're talking about the press ruining players' careers earlier, the Harry Maguire's, so on and so forth. Um, for him to have that experience and just turn it into what he's been capable of turning it into winning a Ballon d'Or and winning five Champions Leagues. Maldini won five Champions Leagues with the 90s Milan and the early 2000s Milan. That's no fucking joke what this guy's been doing. I think it's very admirable how he carries so much pressure of the country on his shoulders and yeah. he does it repeatedly, he doesn't shy away, you know, steps up to take that penalty as well, buries it. Yeah. He's just he's just an absolute role model for every single Croatian player. For I sure. What I do think is going to be a factor, though. So so in the match um, before against Japan, right? Yeah. Against Japan, uh, he was subbed off in extra time when the match was very much still in the balance. That yeah. tells me that uh, that there are concerns over his fitness. Rightly so. He's thirty seven years old. Mm-hmm. You know, it's understandable. He has another match coming up now. How much can he give? How much can the Croatian team in general give? Because mm. it is a slightly thin, thin squad, right? It, yeah. I would argue it's probably not as strong as the one we saw, um, the team that made that final in the World Cup. No, I mean, when you look at their bench, I mean, apart from there being, for example, Pasalic normally starts, and we saw him start in a bit of a wider position, but we have seen him start from the bench. He's a, he's a nice little player to kind of bring on. One of the most, when it comes to his positioning on the pitch, he puts himself as a, as a box-to-box in, in, in very key positions. We, we've seen him in Serie A, just so you know, score hat-tricks, this guy, from a box-to-box role, just by being in the right place at the right time. Um, otherwise, you see a player in Orsic, who hasn't really been given much time. We know, we've seen him score hat-tricks in last season in the Champions League. We've seen him do that for Dynamo Zagreb. He's very highly rated, but we hardly see him come on before the 80th minute, man. So definitely, even players like Petkovic, who although he had that fuck, he, he had that goal, he had that insane dribble where he turned those two defenders inside out, the Croatians don't rate him. 
You know what I mean? So it is a fairly thin squad. But they just keep going, man. They keep going for 120 minutes. Like, even when Modric came on, I bet you could have gone for the entirety of it. Like, they brought on Meyer, so I'm sure it wasn't a tactical substitution. And it was based around fatigue. Just the same reason Kovacic was taken off in that game. But if they keep the game in 90 minutes, they, they, they can get it done against Argentina, I feel. Mm-hmm. They definitely have what it takes. They just need to be smart about it. It's a semi-final and I mean every single team in a semi-final has a chance at that stage of the competition, you know. Exactly. Shall we discuss the semi-finals a little bit? I don't know if there's anything else you want to discuss about Brazil or Croatia, anything of the sort. I'd say we give some some quick predictions. Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, let's give some predictions. Mm -hmm. So in case you missed the intro, the semi-finals are in fact Croatia against Argentina. That's taking place on Tuesday 13th at 8pm. You can watch it on TVM if you'd like. Um, <laughs> France against Morocco, Wednesday 14th at 8pm. These are This is Maltese time, by the way. You could also watch that on TVM. So let's start Croatia-Argentina. Shall we do it as a one? We go clockwise. Yeah, yeah let, let, let's do it that way. I think that in extra time, Argentina managed to take away a 2-1 victory in extra time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a somewhat comfortable Argentina win. I okay. think they take the lead against Croatia. And then I think once they take the lead, they manage to see that game out. I think Croatia will struggle to create too many chances. Um, and as Argentina will see it through. I'll go with a. I'm going with a two nil Argentina. Two nil Argentina. I think it'll be one one after ninety minutes. I think they'll scrap through extra time with penalties. Um, for whatever reason, I feel like Croatia will make their own penalties. Man. Okay. Um, but my heart wants Argentina to make it through because I'd love to see an Argentina France final. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I think what, what we're seeing over here, one thing we have to take into consideration was the, the amount of yellow cards that Argentina have accumulated mm-hmm. against the Netherlands. We thought if they get those same players get another yellow card, it means they will miss the final, which will make them more conservative in that some game. Will, some definitely will. Some know. will miss the final and some will take a very conservative stance in that mm-hmm. game. Imagine you're, you're a defensive midfielder, you're Depaul, you're a yellow card away from missing the final, there's a challenge to make and you shy out of that, oh, leaving right. a guy clean through on goal. That's gonna be that's gonna be so it's fucking interesting. interesting. And Croatia will turn it into a fucking yeah, scrap, bro. Yeah. They will, they'll make it that game. Let us know what you think, guys. This is gonna be a, an interesting one. I don't I don't know if you've seen I don't know if you've seen, but um like back in like ninety six, something like that, there was this really prime, famous one back in my prime before I was born, but sure. <laughs> um, uh, uh, where England were in the semis against, I think Germany, mm. um, and Gaza, um, Paul Gascoigne, got a yellow in that game, and then mm. the game before he had a yellow as well. Okay. So he got a yellow in this game, and it wasn't even meant to be a yellow; it was barely even a foul. And he knew that that meant he wasn't going to make it to the final. Mm. And because he got the yellow there, he started literally bawling whilst playing. Like he was ah, crying. I've seen tears. those clips. There's really famous clips about it, uh-huh. um, which just goes to show how much it can weigh on a player. Like it can mm. really it's weigh on a player. Mm. No, it's massive. Like, so don't, love- don't underrate how much it can it can play on a mental on a player's uh, mental state. Uh-huh. I'd, I'd love to have a list of the players that are a yellow card away for Argentina. Yeah, yeah, so at yeah. least I can pull up who got a yellow card. Yeah, if you listen, we're going to be talking for a few minutes. So there's, the, so there's Messi. 
Like imagine that, no. imagine that. That's no imagine way, that. no way. Okay, let's not even let's like even fix it. You think about a left wing back facing who do Croatia have on the right? It's not Perisic, but who are you talking? So Acuna is Acuna is suspended. Okay, second year. Okay, there's Martinez at the back. There's Otamendi. There's Romero. Those are all the yellow card away. I believe so. They 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 substituted Romero actually um, at two nil okay. to protect him, uh-huh. and actually there was a lot of uh, debate on on whether that was the right decision because then they conceded two mm-hmm. goals after it. What, so. what 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 a player Romero is He's by the way. Another goals. another uh, shit houser. Yeah, yeah, he 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 came out of Atalanta, moved to Spurs, and yeah. he's Spurs another guy. Drake and I have been rating for insanely ages. aggressive player. He's very good. yeah yeah. So that that's that's gonna be an interesting one. I think it will be tighter than than we than we may anticipate. Um, but yeah, guys, if you have any predictions, please do let us know about those. Interesting, interesting. France Morocco. What are our predictions for France Morocco? Fuck! I really don't know, man. Uh, as in you, you obviously have to go for a France win. As in, I don't think anybody's saying they're gonna go predict a Morocco win, even though it all. Like, even though we all know the possibility of it based on the last two games. Um, uh, my God just says 2 0 France, counting for 90 minutes. Mbappe has to get two nil, one. 2 0 France. Mm. Mbappe has to get one. Mm. I don't know to get the other. Uh, but I feel like in, you, you're going to predict the comfortable France win, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Tay? I'm going for the exact same result as the Croatia Argentina match. I think France 2 0. I think. Mm. I th- these games, both games, I feel really rest on on uh, on whether the favorite can get the first goal. Yeah. If they do that, then then the underdog is gonna struggle. Uh-huh. I think um, considering the the different the, the versatile way in which France can attack, the different weapons that they have, the fact that they can go with a long ball over the top to Giroud who could head it in, the fact that they could go directly through Mbappe, the fact that Rabiot can have a crack, we saw Chouameni have a crack as well, Kingsley Coman can come on and do stuff, Griezmann can have a crack. All, all of cracks. these, they, they so they much lo- crack. There's so much crack in that team. So much crack. <laughs> and then you look at, I can't help but consider, take into consideration the fitness of Morocco. The fact that they might be a little bit deflated. Yeah. I think that a lot of it will show out. a lot of heart. A lot of heart. I do think, I'm going to agree with both of you. I think France will get away with a 2-0 victory. So um, Morocco will definitely win now. Yeah, yeah, so Morocco, like for sure. We should place a bet, ah, boys. We should. On what? That we'll post it. What do you mean on what? On you France to, to win? On the football. No. On the... <laughs> <laughs> but who's going to win Love Island the next Love year? Love Island. <laughs> uh, you're taking part next year, no? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. Stay tuned, guys. Um, I think that's that's pretty much it for the episode. I know we have a, we have a question from one of our listeners, Pablo. So day one, guys, can you please give a nice warm welcome to Pablo? Lovely, lovely guy. Hello, Pablo. Thank Hi, you, Pablo. Pablo. So, tough questions. He's very well versed. He watches a lot of football. He lives and breathes it. So, he asks us the following. Um, with the memory of yesterday's match still in mind, could you talk a bit about Lajos? Has to be the worst performance all round I've ever seen out of a ref. So obviously he's talking about, in case you guys watch Sopranos, that uh, referee that kind of looks like Tony Sopranos. Uh, he officiated 
the match between Netherlands and Argentina. Obviously, from the amount of yellow cards, 17 yellow cards, you could understand that maybe he didn't have too much control over the game. But there were also a number of controversial decisions. This is a very experienced referee. We've seen him in La Liga. Um, Jake and I always spoke about what a great referee he is when we saw him um, in the Champions League. He lets play go on. He's strict when he needs to be strict and he always has control over the game. This one got away from him and there were controversial decisions made like the like the free kick late on, the yellow cards that were dished out, so on and so forth. He is definitely one of the referees with the highest pedigree in the in, in this championship. So it's obvious that he's going to be called up. Do you think that the criticism on him is fair or do you think it's it's a little bit harsh on him? considering the magnitude of the game. I mean it was it was a heated affair no doubt about that but uh, definitely felt like he 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 lost control of it. He started mm. dishing cards out to the point where uh-huh. you're not even sure who he's even pointing the cards at mm. anymore at the point in the penalty shootout he put a yellow card out and and, and aimed at the Dutch squad and the commentator mm. was just like I don't even know who mm. that's aimed at. He was just dishing the, them out. Like even prior to smashing the ball at the, at the reserves in my head that off the, off the bat I kind of thought it was a red card to be honest. <laughs> As in, if that hits a player it's a red to be honest. He could have, he could have hurt someone with that. Um, so it felt a bit random. He, he did lose control. How many, I don't know how many cards he said. Yellow cards he said it was something ridiculous. Like, that's mental. Like, yeah, oh, 16, 16, 16, 16, 16, 16. Yeah. Massive difference. Um, <laughs> no, if you have if you have to dish out that many cards in the game, you've lost control. Um, it got very messy. It wasn't an easy one to ref. I'll give him that. No. Players, players were, were, were being a bit much. Sorry, what an idiot I am. It was 17. 16 was the last record, which was between Portugal and the Netherlands in 2006. No, there you go. I remember that game. The game was mm-hmm. mad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but no, as in Kerry, the game the game ran away from him, and and, and mm-hmm. it was very messy and and messy. I <laughs> know <laughs> <laughs> uh, that those are the games where we expect a good ref yeah. to come through and take control and and the sprint players. I think there's a lot more to refereeing the game. <laughs> Bless you, Matthew. Thank you so much. Um, uh, you're ruining our podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I think in games like these, where a strong ref, a good ref, sort of comes through um, and shows his quality and mm. can dictate the game and and sort of put players in their place, you wouldn't have seen this happen to I don't know the likes of Colina back in the day. If you know what I mean. Mm, exactly. um, and I feel like he kind of lost it here a little bit. Yeah. Now. Obviously, some some games are just destined to be scraps, and, and the players just you know it says it says a lot about like we all know Argentina have a very tough squad. We know that Netherlands always up to the task. They have a lot of leaders within that team. So you know when when they make certain challenges and when they're carrying themselves a certain way, yellow cards are going to be dished out. I have absolutely no problem with the fact that he dished out as many yellows as he did. This takes me back to the argument I brought up earlier about consistency. Because there was, for example, uh, Messi said that he had a fixation against him, that, that, that he had. Mm-hmm. He kept on talking shit to Messi throughout the game. He gave Messi a yellow card at a point. Messi handled the ball later on quite blatantly and mm-hmm. he should have gotten a second yellow yeah. card and he yeah. spared him that. Yeah. So a bit of consistency in these cases, like perhaps Messi should have been off mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so it's it's all about consistency. There are lenient referees, there are strict referees, there are referees that like to let play go on. This guy is normally that kind of referee. Um, the only way he was going to assert his dominance in a game like this is by brandishing the yellow cards that, that, that he brandished. Um, but 
you know, Argentina have their opinions on him. Messi said that. Emiliano Martinez <laughs> said that he's the he's the World Cup's worst ref by far. <laughs> the reason he awarded 10 added minutes is because he wanted them to draw the game. So I'm not sure about that one. Um, there, there, there needed to be that much time. I felt. Like I don't think Emiliano Martinez is aware <laughs> of the new system of, of of additional time. Like today, there were eight, so eight, eight minutes added. Not not because they wanted England to get an equalizer, but because there were var checks or this, there was that, and it's it's the same thing over there. It's interesting. I don't feel like I could I could give you a, a definite yes or no as as to whether he had a a shocker of a performance. I know the game got away from him. Sometimes that's, sometimes that's going to happen. A little bit more consistency within his decisions in the game would have been yeah, yeah. better. All I that. don't think, to be honest, bottom line, I don't think it changed the result massively. I still felt like a draw in the end was relatively fair. Yeah. Um, and I think the game sort of just took its, own, took its own course naturally in that sense. Yeah. Next question by Pablo. Um, he's on a positive side. Why was Croatia so good yesterday? I think we went through this mm-hmm. a lot about the balance yeah. within the yeah, team, the experience within the team. But one thing I want to bring up on Pablo's note is that we saw De Bruyne talk about Belgium, how he said the golden days are behind us. We're old. We can't do anything. Now we see Croatia who have a very aging squad, a very experienced squad, and they almost use experience to their benefit, it's almost a good thing when you look at when you look at mm-hmm. Croatia. So just food for thought as as to how the different approaches two teams can take. As in I don't fully agree as in the Bruins, right? But he's also not in the sense that yes, the best days are behind them. They're golden generation. I question how much of a golden generation it was because they didn't even win anything. They yeah. they didn't get very far very often to be honest. And the problems that they have today, so sure Vertogen and Alderweireld still being at the back is hilarious, um, uh, but but they have the same problems they had five ten years ago, yeah. where they're just a very disjointed squad. It just feels like a bunch of individuals who are put together and are kind of doing their own thing, which is kind of the opposite of Croatia, which just feels like eleven men who are banded together, working as a collective, um, or for the same kind of cause. Um, what I said before the game, which I didn't say here, is I, I, I see Croatia as kind of similar to England in, in many ways. Just worse, not not so much quality, but just very organized, tight, hard to break down, good, mm. solid 11. Um, and I think that's always going to win. And mm. I think uh, the likes of Belgium, who you mentioned there, are, are um, just much messier than that. Yeah. So if you're organized and tight, hit Jamie up. He's clearly. <laughs> he's into that. He's really into Especially that. organized. <laughs> Croatia have a, a certain humility which has served them really well. They mm. they know their strengths. You know they know they're not going to be this fluid, free flowing attack. Mm. They're going to work hard. They're going to put men behind the ball. They're going to hit on hit, hit on the counter, similar to to Morocco in this way. Um and 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 it worked. I mean they took Brazil as far as they wanted to to take them and then. Um, and then once you're in the penalty shootout, anything can happen. And yeah. I have I have no doubt that that they're going to try something somewhat similar for the for the final two games if they have two yeah. games. Exactly, exactly. I think that's it, guys. What did you think? How did you find it? Your first time being on the podcast? No, I enjoyed it, man. It was lovely. Thank yeah, I'm, so I'm, much for I'll, I'll be retiring uh, today. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that you were interested in starting your own podcast. There, what's stopping you, man? Um. Yeah, I need to. I need to work through my uh, my my life commitments and find the slot. Mm. It's to, a very busy life. I'm a very busy very man. Very busy life. I, I I I have lots of things to do. 
Mm. Trying new things. I try a lot of new things. Places to be. Yeah. Women to meet. Yes. People to see. Yes. yes. Mm. yes. All it takes, just so you know, is a microphone that costs around 40 euro. Uh, maybe buy a plugin that costs 3 euro. Just record, edit, and dish it out. So it it's incredibly easy to start, to keep consistent, uh, and to keep on doing it on a weekly basis, and to keep finding good content, and to be up to date. Takes a lot of effort. Um, well, you have it in you, man. You should definitely give it a bash. You're very mm. well versed. You should have definitely add video because you're incredibly handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lie. I'm probably part of the problem here. Teo has for years been telling me that he, that that he wants to he wants to do a podcast with me, and I've always yeah, Jamie watched, Jamie shuns me. Uh, no, I've mm. always been I've always been interested, but 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 I have some reasons Teo where I've just never matched my time for it. But hey. Maybe yeah. one day. We'll maybe, see maybe where we, is, we go from here. Maybe Matt maybe has, sort of has triggered new. us Look, here. I want to internationalize, okay? So Serie A Spotlight is just one of the spotlights. If you guys want to take over Premier League Spotlight, do that. I can assure you we will have more listeners than you. <laughs> At the beginning, yeah. <laughs> go for Until it. we bring video on. Once we're ah, like, okay. Once we're like <laughs> three or four episodes in, it will be just millions yeah. of views. Exactly. Yeah. Guys, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, um, give us a five-star rating wherever the fuck you're listening, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you want. Um, send us your voice notes if you have any hot takes, send us any questions you might have, let us know what you want us to discuss. We'll see you guys next week, and we love you all. Ciao, ciao. See you guys. Bye-bye.